A big thank you to our sponsor, iFixit, who fights for your right to repair and makes really cool tools in the process. If you need to fix your phone, laptop, or even a vacuum, iFixit has thousands of parts, tools, and free guides. Mercury, Mercury Stardust. She's a beacon of hope in the darkest night. Mercury, Mercury Stardust. She'll teach you how to make it all alright. Hey there, hi, my name is Mercury, and I'm the trans handy ma'am. My pronouns are she, her, and I teach compassionate DIY. We're here to help renters, LGBTQIA members, and anyone who's feeling left out in a DIY space. Hey, everybody, you are listening to the last release that we are going to have for the year. Until we come back, there's a new show called Maintenance is a Drag in February of next year. But right now, you are going to listen to a version of our book club that we do with our audience on Patreon and Discord. It's called Bagels Book Bugs, and we are really excited to bring you this one. This is us talking about Elliot Page's Page Boy. We do almost exclusively queer and trans content for the book club, and it's been a really fun time. I love analyzing books. I love talking to my best friend, Basil, about this stuff, and it's just been a really wonderful experience. I hope that you listen to this episode in full. We have three episodes roll into one, so this is a long one. It's a doozy, everybody, but it's before we start the book, then halfway through the book, and then it is the last part of the book. And before we even start this, I just want to say this was a really amazing experience reading this book and reading from someone that I've admired for so many years, but now had gotten a better, more in-depth understanding of his life. And I think Elliot Page is such an amazing, strong person that really listening to his voice in the audio version of this book was one of my favorite things I've ever like experienced artistically. So all that being said, if you have not read the book, I would say go read the book. Read the book and then come back, listen to this podcast and have a good time with us. And then I hope that you support us on Patreon or Discord and try to develop a wonderful community with us and have a good time. But we will see you in the new year. And remember... You're worth the time it takes to listen to all three hours of this podcast. (laughs) Everyone, take care. Bye-bye. All right. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to yet another episode of Basil's Book Bugs Podcast. You said it right. It's not the bagel um, book bites. (laughs) No, it is not. It is not the bagel book bites. Um, those come later afterwards for snack time. This is the, basically the podcast before we actually start listening, we, we actually start reading or listening to the book itself. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we have not started page boy yet. Um, we are going to take two weeks to read all of page boy. We're going to read the first half and then the second half and then talk about it each week. Yep. So next week we we're, we're we'll be halfway through the book. And the week after that, we'll be finishing the book. So that's kind of where we're at. And to this week, we're going to be talking kind of about our expectations of the book. What do we expect from the book? What we want from the book? What we are excited about? And all the things that are Elliot Page and Page Boy. Um, and yeah, Basil, what are your first thoughts before we embark on this uh, long journey? <laughs> 
my very first thoughts, I am very much looking forward to reading this. I had bought this um, actually before it came out. I um, It was a pre, pre-sale yeah, you purchase. bought you bought this like in May, I believe. Correct. I remember. Yeah, you bought this really early on, and we just haven't had the chance to read the book. So this is a great excuse to actually get a lot of our reading done. It really uh. is. I love it so much. Uh, so what what is your thought process um, of the book? So like, what do you expect the book to be, friend? What do I expect the book to be? Well, um, honestly, it is a little bit shorter than I thought it was going to be initially. Um, so I'm very curious to see like what gets included and what doesn't get included. Um, I know it kind of seems like it starts right about when Juno comes out. Um, like I think in the on the back cover or whatever, like the yeah. I yeah, heard it I, talks about the the premiere of Juno. I I I have this suspicion that it jumps around a lot. Mm. I I think that like a Juno is one of the biggest films he ever did, right? I mean, he right. he did a bunch of big films, but like Juno is up there. So is Inception, and I think that maybe he used it to like as a hook, and then maybe starting maybe maybe go back and forth. I don't know. I'm I'm in, I'm curious in how linear or non-linear the story is itself mm-hmm. you know because we are dealing with a memoir we are dealing with you know memories and and etc from this time period of his life so curious yeah. i'm also very interested to see like how many like loose ends he like leaves open like how many things tie up like because i i've we've mentioned this before but like it is so early for him like in in like a coming out story kind of way to be writing the story in my opinion um but that i think it's gonna be very interesting because he'll be able to, to speak more exactly about like those first kind of years of those first moments you know of of coming out and transitioning yeah elliot page is 36 years old he's older than i thought he yeah was. he is he was born in the same year that i was born in 1987 but he is i think he's an aquarius <laughs> uh, but that means we would get along real well i think <laughs> i think i don't know um but all that being said uh yeah 36 years old uh honestly holy shit i didn't realize until now that i grew up with elliot page holy Mm -hmm. shit that is wild now that i'm thinking about it um but all that being said i i agree i i wonder all the same things and i'm very curious on how he will be talking about the transition for him at all like how much will he be talking about um how little you know, I think that it is, it is a, a, you know, as trans people, I really do feel like we are fantalized a lot when it talks mm. about our transitions. And mm-hmm. I do feel like a lot of people put a lot of focus on the transition. Yeah. And this is why a lot of us don't say transition anymore. We say gender um, affirmation, right? Um, partially because so many people think there's a beginning, a, a beginning and an end to transitions, when right. it's not necessarily that way. So I'm curious, as someone who has been openly himself only for a few years, mm-hmm. what his take will be about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, very curious about it. But how important it is for someone as like well known as Elliot to be out. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Um, but also knowing the the, the reaction that came, that happened when he came out. Yeah. I wonder if that will be in the book. I I've, I've thought about that a lot. Is that you know I remember um, lesbians losing their minds about mm. this. I remember there being so many people who were mm. uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists who were very much like, oh no. You know, we lost a good representation for the lesbian community. You know, it's centering themselves over his own experience and existence. Right. And I wonder if he will ever address that directly about what that was like. Yeah. I'm I, I'm also just like very interested to hear his relationship to like queerdom in general. You know, I don't I don't really know a lot about his personal life. Um, and like, I've, I've always like kind of clocked him as a queer person, but like, I never explicitly knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Until he like came out, you know? Yeah. But th- that's what's so interesting about Elliot's story specifically, because I feel like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if anyone possesses like big queer energy, it's in a lot of ways, it's Elliot Page. <laughs> Uh-huh. And I I I I agree very strongly. Like whenever Elliot played uh a character that had any romantic intrigue and it was like a heterosexual relationship, <laughs> it always felt so disingenuous. So it always it always felt like oh this is like a, a non-queer heterosexual relationship opposed to like a trans heterosexual relationship. Yes, you yeah. know, because there is a un- innate difference in that way that that is conveyed right um and i just i find that fascinating that we were able to pick up upon that but also we're two trans people Mm -hmm. we're two trans people um who very much probably have (laughs) you know we we understand the nuance and all of that so i'm very curious i'm very curious what the first half of the book will be yeah so we are going to also be watching some movies along the way now uh basil do not know why they decided to watch Juno this morning. <laughs> I wanted to have something to talk about today. Yeah, you so, know, and also it happens to be one of my favorites. Okay. So I guess we'll get into it because everyone who's going to be reading this along with us is probably going to watch Juno at yeah. some point. Uh, that being said, Baze, what is your takeaway from watching Juno um, before we read the book, right? Like, what is your major takeaway um from that experience rewatching it what after like 16 years like i think the i think the movie 2007 holy fucking shit (laughs) that's when i graduated high school (laughs) yeah Yeah, um it was it was really interesting rewatching it because um i i have it on blu-ray um because i really liked the movie when it came out i in particular i loved the soundtrack actually this is one of the few movies i bought the movie soundtrack for and i legitimately love every single song on the soundtrack wow this i think that watching juno was probably the start of when i started listening to like punk like like folk punk like folksy music yeah that because that was the soundtrack i remember the soundtrack for the movie being iconic yeah Absolutely. I don't know. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, boof boy. I remember when I was in high school when this movie came out. It was like my senior year of high school. And I remember like you could go to Target and it would have a section at Target that would have like movie soundtracks uh-huh. and then they would have like a spotlight. 
And I remember Juno's soundtrack being spotlit. I remember like everyone wanted it. Yeah. And that was a time period. I don't know if this is as much anymore, but that was a time period when you bought like a CD from a movie that like it could make or break bands. Mm-hmm. I remember like Dashboard Confessional um, when it came out in Spider-Man 2. Um, they were, you know, Dashboard has been around for a long time, but Dashboard Confessional was still like struggling. And then Vindicated came out. And it was one of the, that was probably the most well known um, song that they ever put out. Mm. But Vindicated was on the soundtrack of um, Spider Man 2, and they did not own rights to it. So they were even having problems at one point to play it at their concerts. So, like, I, it was a very interesting time period when it came to, I know, isn't that fucking wild? <laughs> it is, they wrote the song, you know, but they couldn't. They couldn't, the label that they were working with couldn't, they didn't want to put that specific song on their album. Mm. So they, instead, they just put it on the Spider-Man 2 album. Um, But I remember I bought that whole album just for that one song, because this is way before LimeWire, even. Oh, sure. You know? Uh, (laughs) I don't want to give away (laughs) that I was a crook when I was in college, but weren't we all in the mid-2000s? Everyone Um, was wearing a pirate hat. Yeah, everyone had LimeWire. My God, every single dorm room came in with, like, a laptop and LimeWire (laughs) on it. Um, But all that being said... I I uh, I think that the relationship that we have with that music itself mm-hmm. is so concrete in our memories that I think that when I start hearing it, it will just jar back so many ideas. And I mean, also Juno, like the the language itself in that movie in particular, like they have their whole own little lexicon, you know, the same way that we do, like when we're on tour, you know, with <laughs> yeah, Danny, yeah. Like, there is a whole. It's it's they. They just dump you right into this whole world. And there's so many like iconic sound bites from this movie. It really is. I mean, I really I'm so mad that you watched it without I was, me. I I'm, couldn't stop. I'm so mad right now. But I I that movie, I I, I watched a few scenes um post like like a couple months ago. Um and I remember I I think they were on TikTok. And you know, sometimes you're just scrolling through TikTok mm-hmm. and you see movie scenes. And there were some scenes I saw that were like, holy shit, I did not notice that when I was a kid. And how different I saw the... I forgot who played the male character. God damn it. Mark Ruffalo or something? No, it was not Mark Ruffalo. (laughs) But do old cis men in their 30s look the same to you? (laughs) (laughs) Jason Bateman. Thank you, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa coming in red hot always with the facts. Um, But Jason Bateman in that movie, I remember having more... Did I have more... No, I remember remember having... Being more mad at the mom Mm -hmm. when I was younger. And being really upset at the mom for not understanding, you know, her kiddo. You know what I mean? And being mad at her. And now... I watch those scenes and I'm like, what? Why? Someone's got to like, like, make sure that Juno never leaves the fucking house again. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 it's just interesting how generationally yeah. and life experience would mm-hmm. completely change a relationship with the character itself. Absolutely, yeah, and like, I mean, just now being, you know, in in my later twenties and like having more life experience and seeing the relationship between Juno and, and the the guy, like it's just, 
it's so much worse. It, 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 especially no. post Me Too and and and, and suppose post um a more of a social awakening of a, a lot of these subject matters. Mm. I feel like the way that we deal with these subject matters is so dramatically different than what we did, you know, 16 years ago. Uh that I yeah, it's I, I don't know Interesting rewatch, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited about rewatching that on my own because Basil ruined it. <laughs> but that being said, I also really want to watch Inception. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, Elliot's role in Inception is not huge. Mm-hmm. It's not like a ginormous role. But I do remember it being like a pivotal moment because it was like, Elliot was being put in a summer blockbuster, right, yeah. which was like an like like kind of crazy in 2010. I don't know if blockbusters have the same effects they once did. Not really. Yeah, there was a time period where I mean, like this was like Leonardo DiCaprio at Leonardo DiCaprio's most DiCaprio. You know, <laughs> you know, like this was like every movie he was doing was like a blockbuster of some kind. And he was a true movie star at this time period. Mm. And I remember like seeing Elliot and be like, holy shit, like they're having a career. Like this right. is this they, thing they is they happening. It, like... Yeah. Um, Melissa says, um, the true character growth is realizing the mom in Juno was right all along and the dad is a creep. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. But as a kid, you have your blinders on, mm. you know, and I, I think it's interesting watching that movie when it came out when I was almost, I think I was like Juno's age, <laughs> you know, like I was like 18, 19 when the movie came out. Not that much older than mm-hmm. what Juno care, Juno's character is. I think Juno's like, what, 16, 17? 16, I think. Yeah, not that much older. And I remember watching it with all my friends who were like also in high school. Mm-hmm. And all of us had this very similar response to it. And I, I, it's just a very interesting part of growing up is, is understanding that nuance and, and understanding, you know, um, and those kind of things. And, mm-hmm. and also how often men... Um, in those kind of positions, take advantage of us not knowing yeah. and about us not yeah. having the vocabulary to to see the red flags. You know? you know, but that's why I kind of think that it was interesting that they did the ending that they did in the time that they did, you know, because like they kind of called out his behavior as like gross and disgusting. And then like the two like women characters like kind of take over the story they're like fuck you we're, we're doing yeah. this our way i don't remember enough about the ending to have an opinion because again i didn't watch it this morning <laughs> if you would have told me i would have done it <laughs> but um also uh yeah back to inception though because inception is another movie where the ending itself is very ambiguous and i don't know if you remember the ending of the movie i don't know if i do I don't. I don't want to give away for anyone who hasn't watched Inception, but there is a moment to the very end of the scene, the, the movie, that you do not know um, what, like what is happening. You're you're not. It, it's it's ambiguous on purpose, and Christopher Nolan kept it ambiguous on purpose. And I'm interested to rewatch that with you. Uh, one night where we're in a fucking hotel room uh-huh. and you, you can't watch it without me <laughs> um, and, and kind of have that experience and, and, and see where the movie is and kind of analyze Elias' role within that movie in the world that, that was created. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, but Umbrella Academy, we are going to watch at least that scene. 
I think yeah. it's like a about like an eight to twelve minute scene. Um, at some point, probably before the end of the book, towards week two, we will have a sit down and really like discuss the coming out of um, Elliot in Umbrella Academy season two, episode four or five. I can't remember what episode it was. Um, but it was fairly early on in, in, in season three, um, um, Umbrella Academy. But all that being said, that I'm very curious about. I watched it when it came out like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Did you ever, you, you didn't, have you ever seen that scene? I think that I might have saw it when it first came out, you know, like just the clip of the, that scene, but I don't remember it now because I, I didn't see it in contact. I, I, the thing is, in the world in which they were created, I thought it was done pretty pretty well. Um, I I think after reading the book a little bit more and then seeing it, we might have different opinions about sure. it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, again, when you start... I think that's another aspect that I'm excited about because we get to know Elliot in a more deep, emotional mm-hmm. way... And then experience the films that we all grew up on. Right. You know, we we maybe will throw in an extra movie in there. I brought up um, Whip It because I I loved Whip It a lot. I thought it was really fun. Yeah, I really did. Um, that was back when like there was a really big resurgence of roller derby. I think it really still is. But roller derby was like still very. I don't know. People didn't talk about it that much in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, a whole lot. So when that movie came out. It was still a pretty. It was Drew Barrymore movie. I think that Drew Barrymore wrote and directed it. Mm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that being said, excited about that as well. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just while we're on uh, talking about roller derby, just want to throw a quick shout out to Snacks out in uh, New Haven. <laughs> roller derby mom extraordinaire. We we have met some amazing people, and one of our favorites was a roller derbyer um, named Snacks out in New Haven, Connecticut, who. Um, the most iconic image that will be etched in uh, Basil and Danny's head is Snacks walking around the front of the bookstore outside with the baseball bat in their hand, just twiddling it around. Just twiddling, just, just you know, the most badass, casual. I'm ready to hit someone in the face if they mess with Mercury kind of vibe oh, ever. It was so great. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it, it's been a really fun time meeting all the people mm-hmm. and listening to all their stories. And speaking of stories, really excited to listen to Elliot's page, especially because you're reading it and yes, I'm listening yes. to it. Correct. And we, as we found in the last experience, there is a slight difference sometimes mm-hmm. in how we interpret. I think that, like, again, I, I say this a lot, but there, you know, listening to a book is reading a book, mm-hmm. but who is conveying that book to you can change um, your opinions on things. Yeah, and I absolutely. think listening to Elliot in my ears in my head will give a very personal vibe to it um that maybe you might not have if you're reading it out loud you know or reading it to yourself yeah, so because yeah. he he does the audiobook himself doesn't he, he does he that does so cool and the review on many people who have um commented on my post and stuff about us doing this have been that it's a very good audiobook from the point of view of someone who wrote the book and you know it's about his life so the people were really impressed with his um, performance in it. So very cool, and I think that's a very that's a very cool thing to me to 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 be able to 
uh, do that. And it actually gives me more incentives to listen to it. I might not listen to this one on uh, 3X. Uh, <laughs> I might I might listen to this one in real time. And the audiobook is only eight hours. So yeah, if we're splitting right. this up in half, we're about four hours each way. So Yeah, it's not too much. That's not that bad. And if you do need to listen to it faster, then we're talking about, you know, this being almost a six hour book if you go on if you're on one and a half, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty typical. Um but all that being said, do you have anything else you want to add here? Any thoughts or anything? Yeah, actually, I have a whole little do you? question for you. Oh, my actually. God, yeah. Because this is, you know, this is our second book for Book Club Podcast. And um, this is our first nonfiction book. So my question for you, Mercury, is do you remember the first time you read a nonfiction book? Just not for school? The first time I ever read a nonfiction book, you know, to be honest, I'm going to need a second. So you yeah, are yeah. going to need to talk about oh, yours. I have a whole story. Don't worry. I, I can tell you this. You you go for it. I'm going to be starting. I'm going to try to think about mine because I, in the top of my head, I honestly cannot think of one. So go for it. Okay. So the very first nonfiction um, book that I read. It was technically for school, but it was over spring break and it was for extra credit. So I'm not counting it. Um, it was uh, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. It was so good. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Mercury, but um, essentially it is about this um, black woman who has now died. Um, but anyway, she had... Um, some cervical cancer cells that were taken from her um, without like her like real knowledge or consent that were um, used to oh, create. I do cell know lines this. Yeah, that we still use now in scientific research. I, I've have I've heard about this story before. Actually, recently. Actually, I think I heard about this on TikTok. Actually. Um, Wow, that's wild. That's a that's a wild first book. Yeah, it was so interesting. I devoured it over spring break. I had taken like notes on like different colored post-its. Like the whole book was like twice as big because it was like stuffed full of all my different notes. Um, yeah, and then we came back uh, after spring break and had like a little uh, book discussion for extra credit. Um, it was a lot of fun. That was the first nonfiction book that I read. I, I, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, how old were you when you first did this? Um, I probably would have been about 17-ish. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, okay, I was much older. Um, I, I I'm, I'm like racking my brain, mm-hmm. right? Uh, my first non-fiction book that was not like a homework assignment and also even if it was i don't know i remember a single one <laughs> i i couldn't tell you a single one i did in college or in high school sure right i didn't read books for fun until i got much older sure but i do remember one thing um back in 2012 or 2013 i was uh, very very young and naive in the world of burlesque okay and i loved burlesque and i didn't know a whole lot about it but i was obsessed with it like if you know me on a personal level you know that burlesque like for a time and being a time period in my life i thought about it i drank it i performed it i did it was all i ever did right it was one of the reasons why i got really stupidly good at it Uh because I, i i just couldn't 
think about anything else other than burlesque for for so long. But in order to get really good at something, you have to understand the idea behind all the tropes and all of the reasons why you do things. Right. And one of the things that I was struggling with was having intent behind the actions and things I was having on stage. Okay. So I then, about 2014 or so, when I started getting more serious in it, I started to go down this rabbit hole of reading book after book after book after book. And the very first book in this series of burlesque books that I read was the Burlesque Handbook by Joe Weldon Boobs. And I, I, it is still, the, in my opinion, one of the best um, burlesque history books you can mm-hmm. absolutely ever get. It is a great, it also has some like, you know, how to do the bump and grind, you sure. know, uh, classic burlesque things, you know, uh, but the history, because she interviews actual legends in this book. So there's legends recounting their stories inside the book itself. It's, um, I think of it's very riveting. I don't know if how much you'll get out of it if you're not a burlesque fan, mm. but I loved it. And I remember it kind of changed my life i I think it was one of the reasons why um i went from like you know someone who was doing like minor shows to someone who was becoming a headliner because those little moments those little tweaks i started doing in understanding the actual history Mm -hmm. of fan dance and why we move slow you know for the longest time i remember i would tell people i didn't understand why people would do something called a walk around and the walk around is when a performer goes on stage and just does a big circle. And it's almost like they're in a parade. And the reason why and the intent behind that is because these women would often spend, you know, hundreds of hours hand beating and hand sewing mm-hmm. every single um, sequence on every single outfit. These would be 40 pound costumes. Right. They were so thick, so heavy. That a they couldn't dance with it on, uh-huh. so the only way that they could really present this dress, this outfit, this you know persona was to go on stage and to you know essentially just move really slow, <laughs> and then when they were able to reveal it, you know the the big heavy drop of these gowns sometimes was a lot. So that was like the original intent behind that. And also mm-hmm. because they took so long to make the goddamn thing, they were like it deserves a lot of attention. Yeah, absolutely. Um and a lot of them would have that like personal feeling behind the costumes. And also you would never uh, I know I just mentioned like having a drop to the ground, but the best legends never let it touch the floor. Sure. You would have something called a stage door Johnny. And a stage door, Johnny, Johnny was a man who accompanied you to the stage. And if you took your clothes off, you would hand it to the Johnny. And Johnny would take it and walk off stage. Mm. And that was kind of how it would work. Because these are too expensive. These are too expensive, too much time. And often you only had two outfits or three outfits. And that's all you had. And you were traveling the country in these things. But once you learn that respect and you learn that from their stories, it, it you have a greater understanding of the rich history of the movements and the ideas that you're presenting to the audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a rant. But I loved it. I that, loved it. That is my... Uh, I still... I mean, man, we could do a whole burlesque podcast. So. <laughs> I, 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 it, there is nothing that gets my juices pumping quite like talking about burlesque. But that being said, that was the first nonfiction book I ever um, um, read. And I'm... 
And the other ones, I think that kind of got me into this like history thing. I love yeah. I love history books, spe- especially sports history. I'm obsessed <laughs> with sports history. Uh, Basil knows. I will get into these moments where like I'm like, oh, I just want to learn about the 1918 uh, Black Sox <laughs> and scandal. Here I am getting books more like on the Black Plague and like yeah. <laughs> yeah. girls. And... Wasn't there? There was a time period when I came into work, I think, and I was just like, yeah, the 1997 Chicago Bulls. I, I must have did that to you. I was quoting the <laughs> Chicago Bulls book to you like every day we were working together for like at least a month. Oh, um, you're such a nerd. I am a real big like sports nerd. But, okay, you want to hear the most sports nerdy thing that I could ever say? What? Oh, boy. I... I do believe this. I truly believe these words. But I know when I say them, they make people's eyes roll automatically. Sports are the physical manifestation of the human struggle. (laughs) Okay. Because uh, often in these sports themselves, you have these people who give everything to become an elite athlete. Mm -hmm. They give everything they honestly can, right? And then you have these pivotal moments that are against someone else, like you know, basketball, for example. These are also peak athletes on the other side, right? And those moments of absolute defeat, those moments of absolute victorious, those moments that are injury, those uh, related to injury, those moments that are related to like, I left a team in Orlando and now I'm playing with the um, the L.A., but now in order to get to the finals, I have to beat my old team. Those amazing historical sports history moments are just so rich with like, there is like a, a real strong story, you know, in those. And I get connected to that. I get connected to that as if I was watching a Netflix special. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, but I also don't like watching the sport as much as I like do- watching documentaries about the sport that had sure. happened 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, I just got done being obsessed with David Beckham's documentary. Yeah, I just watched his whole documentary. I'm obsessed with him now, but I'm only <laughs> obsessed with him in the past tense. If you ask me to watch, like, football now or soccer now, I'll be like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> it's hard for me to watch a whole American football game. Like, I barely can sit through, you know, a half a quarter. But if you ask me about, you know, Walter Payton in 1985 when with the Chicago Bears and his amazing run that he almost broke the record for most rushing, rushing, rushing yards in a single season. Yeah. I'm going to fucking lose my mind about it, you know? Sorry, I just did it again. Okay, burlesque and sports history might be my two things. Oh, my God. Those are my, those are my Roman Empire. Those are, that's um, your Roman Empire. That's my Roman Empire. <laughs> Holy shit. That's so funny, dude. Uh, but, yeah. that You got any other questions for me, for Buckaroo? <laughs> are we are we cool with Buckaroo? Is yeah, Buckaroo, Buckaroo a... is fine? I do. Fine. Yeah, uh, I want you to know you and my cat Apollo shared the nickname Buckaroo. Oh, great! <laughs> I mean, that's a good that's a good grouping to be in. I feel honored. Yeah, you should. Apollo is a fluffy boy cat uh, who loves to be scratched, and honestly, he would enjoy sleeping most days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good company. Yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> Living the high life, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, I think we were talking about Elliot Page's book. <laughs> we were, and nonfiction books in general. Yeah. Um, so you read, you've read a lot of like history ones, um, and like, yeah. sports history and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So memoir, I've never listened or read a, a memoir of my recollection. I may have. Oh no, I'm a liar. I have. Okay. I have actually. I actually. I recently. Um, Lucille uh, a ball. Uh, oh, I love right. Lucy. You, you told me that. Yeah, and and I hated it. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, it ruined my whole image of Lucy. Oh, um, that's right. it, I did not realize that she was such a conservative, mm. and I did not realize her kind of terrible views of pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality. Yeah. Um, and her memoir came out like posthumously. It came out like. 30 years after she died. Oh, interesting. So she died. Wait, no, wait. No, she died. No, it wasn't. No, 30 years after she wrote it. So she wrote it in 1960. Okay. Or 1958. And her daughter, after she died, found it and spent years piecing it together to finish it. And then it came out like six years after she died. Hmm. But it was like a, a big deal in early 1990s when this book came out because no one had heard uh, her story at yeah. all. But it's a pretty short book. It's like four hours, five hours. Nice, yeah. Um, But like she grew up really hard. It was a really hard life. Like the her, like until she turned twenty, it, it's actually kind of a, a miraculous. She turned out to be a ginormous movie star because she probably, you know, if if if, if fate spent the other way, she probably wouldn't have been known at all. Sure, um, mm-hmm. she got lucky, very very lucky, like multiple times, and she acknowledges that. Um, it wasn't just hard work for her, but her relationship with her estranged husband. Is one of the most weird shit I've ever heard, um, and her 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 estranged husband is the co-star of right. I Love Lucy, right? Yeah, um, and it is it is kind of nuts to hear her talk about him. And here's another weird thing: her daughter sounds like her. Mm. Her daughter sounds like her and looks very similar. Sure. So when she's talking, she can do Lucy's accent. Uh-huh. And because she is Cuban as well, she can also do her father's accent. Oh, okay. So when you're listening to it, it is like kind of wild. Um, yeah, her daughter reads her audiobook. It is absolutely not so butso. Interesting. And then the other one, the because I did this one too recently, was okay. Phil Knight's book. Do you know who Phil Knight is? No, who's Phil Knight? Phil Knight is the the CEO and founder, or the former CEO and the founder of Nike. Oh, okay. And uh, he is, the thing that's so weird about him, and the reason why I write about him is because I was listening to a podcast that was trying to, um, talk about how CEOs should learn from other CEOs. Sure. And as a CEO, I, w- I wanted to learn more. And what I what I've learned from that is I hate CEOs. <laughs> what I I hate the mentality. I hate this like my way or the highway. I hate the whole like I'm gonna throw money at the wall if it doesn't work out. Yeah, not a big deal. But then it ruins everyone's life underneath me. Yeah. And the fake philanthropy that he did, and and he he stole from other people's culture in order to profit from it, because that's essentially what Nike did, and and uh, yeah, not a big fan. 
Yeah, I'm really not surprised to hear you say that, Mercury. I do not know of very many anti-capitalist CEOs. <laughs> um, so I will say he probably is the closest to it. I honestly, <laughs> uh, I will say, I will acknowledge that Phil Knight genuinely was an out of all the CEOs I could read about, probably the most interesting one. I love that all of these. This is what uh, <laughs> Melissa said in the chat. I love that all these memoirs you've read have made you not like the person after it. <laughs> oh no, that's true. And now we're reading Elliot Page's book. I wonder. But also, in my in, in the defense, I I haven't read too many. I mean, this is this would be my third memoir I have ever read. Um, and to be all to be all honest, I I don't know if I could hate. Uh, another trans person. <laughs> I don't know if I could. Right. We, we've had talks about this. Is I I, I have way more nuance with trans people mm-hmm. than I do with almost any other people. Like because there is so much nuance in our experiences, mm-hmm. and I think so much, especially before we come out, so much of our behavior is coded with us struggling with our identity. Yeah, and it's it's. When you look back at your behavior prior to coming out, or you look back at your relationships interpersonally, or you know, with your friends or anything like that, or your relation, your actually personal relationships, mm-hmm. when you look back at them, they're coded with the the idea of you struggling with your identity and trying to come to terms with that privately. Yeah, and it reshapes and textualizes how you perceive that said past relationship and behavior Mm -hmm. and i i think because of that i have way more nuance with trans people and i think most trans people have a similar vibe to it now there's exceptions to that rule and her name is blair white (laughs) (laughs) i like how i have a beef with blair white she's unaware of me (laughs) also i just i is she still relevant um Depends who you talk to. Uh, depends who you talk to. I mean, you can say the same thing about um, uh, Buck, Buck Angel. You can say the same thing about Buck Angel. Um, but, like, uh, I mean, here's the thing. There, there's still trans people who've been around a long time who um, have large platforms that actively center, you know, um, awful ideology that can hurt trans people. So. Yeah. Yeah, I have no respect for any trans person that actively tries to hurt other trans people like that. So, um, but other than that, I don't think I could hate Elliot Page. Is what I'm trying to. I don't think we're gonna find out that Elliot Page is a secret turf or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like even if we don't like agree with what he has to say or like uh, how he frames things, like that's that's different. You know, it's just a, a point for conversation more than like yeah dislike. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to be interesting is, like, I, I wonder how deep we're going to get into this, you know. Um, but do you have any more things you want to add, my good old friend? Um, I think that that was about what I had for this episode. Yep. I'm ex- now, what, what chapters are we, li- are we, are we reading-listening to for um, this so round? we are going to the end of Chapter 14. Okay. We're going to the end of chapter 14. Yep. All right. I am excited. I'm nervous. I'm going to be listening to this mostly in the van while we're traveling around mm-hmm. the country. Um, we're going to be starting here in Tropical Madison, Wisconsin. And probably by the time 
I think we're going to be in Texas by the time that we are doing this next recording. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I'd have to look at the dates again because I don't know. Yeah, we do not know. I have given up knowing where I'm going to be day to day. Um, I did not know we were leaving on Sunday until two days ago. So I just <laughs> when, when did you think we were leaving? I thought we were leaving on Monday. Were you here for that when no. Maggie made a mistake and told me it was Monday? No. So I was in a meeting on Monday and or on Tuesday rather, and um, we were just talking in this meeting, and we were meeting with a, a potential client. And the person asked me when we were leaving next, and I was like, Mag- Maggie, when are we leaving next? And Maggie told me Monday. And um, Maggie quickly tried to correct herself, but the way that my audio works on my phone cuts her off and I couldn't hear her. So for two days, I thought that I was leaving on Monday. Oh, no. And then you said something the other day. You said something yesterday <laughs> about us leaving on sun- uh, <laughs> uh, us, us leaving on Sunday. And then I had to look at my phone and go, shit, the signing is literally tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this one... Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. It really didn't feel much of a break this. No, time. we had about three weeks for this one. Two, huh, right? Yeah, two and a half weeks. It was yeah, yeah, like two and a half, twenty days, three weeks. But like, we're still like working, you know. Even when we're back, we have like meetings and we have like things we have to film and all this other. If stuff. If you think that's bad, the next one, I know, we are going to have ten days to recover. And we're not even really like honestly, we're probably going to have to be in the studio most. Of we're the we're we're going to have that Thanksgiving week kind of off, right? Because we're going to come back. I. Uh, think we're going to actually be back Tuesday because mm-hmm. we're going to get back midday, which is a wild, thank God, thank God we get to get back midday uh, or potentially get back midday. <laughs> um, oh, I cannot tell you how happy it makes me. I The fact that we can get home and it's not midnight or some mm-hmm. shit would be so nice. Yeah. Um, but get home and then we have like, you know, Wednesday, Thanksgiving and then Friday and then we're probably going to be right back at it. Yep. Very soon thereafter. We might have to do meetings that week because we only have a meet the week after. Yep. Ooh, boy. Wow. We are coming to the end of this year, though. Yes. So. Yes. And I don't know if we've officially mentioned it, but we probably should, that we are taking a nice long winter break. The whole office is taking a nice long winter break. We are. And I'm probably going to work a little bit here and there. Uh, but I am going to take a much bigger break than I would otherwise. Um, but I'm antsy. <laughs> um, all that being said, everyone, I appreciate you all so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of what, Basil? Basil's Book Bugs. Now, let's all go get snug as a bug in a rug and read our book. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Basil's Book Bugs. We are here on site. Yeah, we're here in New Orleans tonight um, recording this episode. And boy, we have a lot to say about Page Boy. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. this has been such a captivating read. Yeah, this has been one of the most captivating reads I've had in, in recent memories. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, based, uh, you know, right out of the gate, I, I just got to tell you, this is one of the best trans representation books i've ever read yeah and i and i I gotta tell you i i know we've had private conversations with people who express concerns about 
um, this book mm-hmm. and, you know, um, Elliot being so fresh in their transition and talking so much about this. I really love how Elliot talks about this all. Yeah. It is. I have said this to you in private, but I really believe that there is no way to read this book and not realize how absolutely saturated it is with the trans experience. It is Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. every single essence. Absolutely. It is. It's there. It's omnipresent in his entire life from a little kid onwards. It coats every experience, every interaction, everything that was uh, it was heavy on him constantly so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we have so much to go over um yeah and including we learned a lot about raccoons this week <laughs> i know that's my my absolute favorite fact i keep pulling out like on these uh book signing events uh, but toronto being the the cap the capital of the world for raccoons yeah, we were oh, at a signing. We were at a signing, I believe, this morning, and someone from uh, Toronto came for the signing, and Basil was like, "Yeah, it's the it's the raccoon capital of the world," <laughs> and the the person said, "Yeah, absolutely, yes, it is." <laughs> oh my so God. funny! It was so funny. Yeah, but that all being said, Basil, we are going to walk through this kind of from chapter one all the way through chapter fourteen. We're going to express our thoughts through each chapter, and then we're going to kind of wrap it up in the best kind of bow that we possibly can um, for everyone to enjoy here. But do we want to start at the very beginning with the author notes? So do you have anything you want to ask before we get there? Um, I don't think, not before the author note. Yeah, let's start there. That sounds like a great plan. Okay, right away with the author notes, I just want to tell you that I it set me up. This is what we were talking about with the last book. I believe so strongly that author notes really are important. It's like when you go to a play or a musical and you read the director notes. It's like when you have kind of a projector, like kind of an idea, a projection of what might happen here and how is this author going to convey those ideas. Mm -hmm. I felt like we were in good hands from the absolute get-go. Yeah. Like the way that Elliot expressed boundaries... And said, I'm going to use pronouns and my dead name. That's not an invitation for you to do the same. Was like, okay, not only is Elliot someone who is, you know, through the trans experience. There's actually someone who's very educated in this experience. Even though they're only like two and a half, three years into their transition. They're very saturated with the ideology that a lot of us have. And Mm -hmm. it was just really refreshing to have an author just say their boundaries essentially right out of the gate. Yeah, yeah. And I I think it was so important too, right? Because we've talked about this with the last one, um, how the author's note position in the book is so important, right? And I love that he put yeah. it in the beginning. So you you really start on that with that note. You he, know? he also pays homage to those who came before him. Yes. That was, when that was uttered, um, because I, for those who don't know, I listen to the audiobook version of this. So I also get Elliot Page in my ear and the way that he says these things. And then Basil reads the words that he writes down, right? But that being said, like when he utters that specific phrase, those who came before us was, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. Like knowing that 
that's how his brain is as well. And that's how we think. That's how Basil yeah, and I have right. thought about this many times. I also just as like a little note, um, I added a little sticker to my book because I, I like to write in my book. I like to add stickers and stuff because like it's it's <laughs> part of like the reading experience for me. And like, I don't think it's defacing. I think it adds to it. Yeah. Um, and like I'm cultivating like a little personal library. Yeah. I think that when you are having connections with the physical book, I think in a lot of ways it becomes kind of like a safety blanket or like your own personal little map into the story. Mm-hmm. And I think personalizing it in some ways actually is a really cute idea. I've seen people who I don't know if it was you or my spouse mouse who sent me a meme of someone taking like pictures of the books and putting them on the out like a fake book show. Yeah, I did send you that and picture. As yeah. someone who's an audible, as someone who listens to everything through an audio device instead of reading it with my eyes, you know, having something that's physical, like oh yeah, look at the my what 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 did that person phrase it as? My oh, trophies, my book trophies. Yeah, they had like a really cute way of phrasing it. We'll have to look it up later. But um, yeah, they had they had printed out the spines of all of the audiobooks that they had listened to and put it on like a uh, a bookcase that was like painted on the wall. It was so cool. It was very cool. Um, are we having any problems with the video? It looks like we might. Oh, it looks like you might have cut out, Mark. I might have cut out. I don't know if Melissa can hear me at the moment. Okay, for those audio um, podcasters who are listening to us right now on Patreon, just give us one moment. We're kind of figuring this out on the fly. This is the unedited, untouched version of the podcast. <laughs> um, does, is Melissa saying anything? Do I need to go out and come back in? Um, oh, yep. Look at that. My Discord is not responding. Just collapse one second. Yay. It collapsed like the horrific events in uh, Nova Scotia in 1918. <laughs> <laughs> we learned so much history in this week's episode. Okay, I'm going to invite you to speak here. Okay. Again. Oh, there you go at the top. Except now we get it. Yeah. That is so funny. There we go. Oh, I am back, everyone. I'm so sorry that we left you for a time being right there. Um, yay! Oh, now we lost Basil. <laughs> Gotta love it. Well, the good news is we only need one of us really on here for them to... Yeah, yeah. In fact, I might just... I don't know. Yeah, that works. That works. I'll just turn off my yep. camera because that might be... It might actually help us. Okay, anyways, let's get back to the talk of it on hand because I'm sure the, the wonderful Patreon listeners are like, oh, this is a lot of um dead air here. <laughs> We appreciate you hanging on here. But yes, the sticker. I wanted to show you the sticker I added on here. Um, it is this cute little kitty cat. And it says, tomorrow needs you. And then Aww. it has like the, the caller text. The, the um, It's like a, a helpline. It's absolutely adorable. That's such a cute little kitty cat. I love it. Yeah. And I put it right underneath the to all the who, who came before. And I just thought it was like a nice little addition. All of that being said, since... Elliot set down his boundaries. I think it's only appropriate for us to kind of say how we are going to refer to Elliot through the experience that he expresses through there. Um, I think we can all agree that we're not going to um, um, misgender Elliot through this experience at all. Um, If we're talking about a character in a movie that he portrayed, we will talk about that specific character. I wrote all the names of the characters down so we can have that reference. Thank you. 
and those kind of things. So we just want to be mindful that we're also being respectful for, for Elliot when we are talking about all of this. Because he took just so much care in the book, I think we should as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, okay. Let's go right into chapter one. Yes, um, Paula. Yes. Oh, I know. The way that he writes about Paula. Mm-hmm. Man, if that's not like an absolute like queer, like, ugh, like romantic, young love mentality. Mm-hmm. The oh way gosh. that... He talks about like, you know, the campfire and Paula and I don't know, like this is like right before Juno came out, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. I will say this right out of the gate, the non chronological order of the first like five or six chapters. I love I I know a lot of reviews I have read and a lot of people I have talked to have expressed that being a real problem with the book. That you, it's hard for them to get into or what, whatever. But I have written this down several times. I think that this being kind of jumping all around keeps us as confused as Elliot is expressing within the, the, the chapters of this book, right? Like he's expressing how confused and traumatized he is and how he's lost at times. And we don't always know what time period he's referring to until like a, like a paragraph or two. And I like how we're kept on our toes about that through this experience and through the way that he is contextualizing these chapters. I absolutely agree with you. I think that it's um, also not only that, but like super neurodivergent friendly. Like it feels very much like the way that we have conversations. Yeah, you said that the other day that that like this is just like a natural and flow conversation. It it really brings you in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I feel like especially for me because I'm hearing Elliot's voice, right? I I I honestly feel like he is telling me secrets. Yeah. That he has been holding to his chest for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he has such a, an amazing way to his cadence and his, the way that he expresses things through a, just a, a tone in his voice at times is so good. And what a captivating storyteller. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really appreciating too, like the, the kind of variance on the length of the chapters. Like he's really just, he's telling these stories and sometimes they're really short. Sometimes they're a little longer and he's giving them the space that they deserve and need, you know, yeah. the story. And chapter one sets us up like, chapter, yeah. like, like in the moment when you're reading chapter one, you're not really quite sure where it's going, but in hindsight, now that we're through chapter 14, you look at chapter one, it really is like the last moment in Elliot's life where the chaos um, had not started yet. Because when Juno hits, right, everything changes for him for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. He even mentions that later in the chapter um, that, you know, it was like the last moment of, of true peace that he had before his life completely changed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, you know, here he is kind of like falling in love, um, having young, ro- young romance. And then, you know, the unbelievable happens. And that's Juno becomes an ginormous box office success and changes everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving on to chapter two. What are your thoughts right on away, Baze? Oh, chapter two specifically. Okay. What are my thoughts right away? This was lar- this chapter two was largely about how 
people politicized or not politicized, publicized his sexuality right out of the gate. Right. You know, and the way that some of the headlines that he put in there is absolutely wild. Mm-hmm. It, it was jarring. And it was also wild to hear um, him saying slurs. Right. There's several slurs that people have said about him that were weirdly gender affirming in the end of the day. (laughs) It's like it's like when a troll accidentally becomes an ally. (laughs) Um, It's interesting how that occurred so early in his career. I also want you to know that I did write down in very bold letters. He is Canadian. I did not know that about Elliot at all. Yeah, I remember you telling me that, like as you were you were reading it. That was so funny. I I did remember that he was Canadian, but um, not specifically where he was from. One of our live watchers right now on our Discord said that in the author notes he says, "This book is the story of my untangling, and the non-linear storytelling I feel really represents that well." Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. I think that. Especially the way that he weaves in later in the chapters when he talks in depth about, you know, the tragedy of his hometown and how the like the hometown was basically soaked in generational trauma mm. and about how that like there was no way to live in that town. There's no way to like move in that town and exist in that town without having the ripple effects of that tragedy. And this is a small town. And having like I think it's like two thousand people die and nine thousand injured is an insane number. Yeah, that's an insane number. And just hearing how Elliot talks about how it wasn't an accident, it was a consequence of war, and I, it just—it's so fascinating how Elliot like views the world, and especially during this time period for himself. I I think that this is a universal truth for a lot of us, Basil. There's there's a line in chapter two where he talks about how he wonders what his grandma would think about him now. Mm. Oh my god, that hit me so hard, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that's like a universal um trans experience that so many of us have people in our lives that we've lost. That we often wonder what they would think about us post-transition. Um, and I also wrote down at one point that Apollo is amazing. <laughs> I think it was because of how Paula would defend him um, early in his acting career and make him try to feel more comfortable. Right. And don't we learn later that she like acted as his like personal assistant for, for yes. a while there? Yeah, I always think that's interesting too, because like you're trying it, the way that Elliot talks about fame, especially through the later chapters in chapters 11 and 12. It's very, it's heartbreaking Mm -hmm. because the more successful that he becomes, the more of a public eye figure, the more removed from himself he really becomes. And, you know, like in these early chapters, we're literally kind of dissecting how his childhood was just full of like traumatic events. Yeah. And when in his early 20s did he ever had a moment to recover? When did he ever have a moment for peace? When did he ever have a moment to have community? Right. You know, he talks about how the roller derby when he was in Whippet, 
how absolutely important that roller derby community was for him. Mm -hmm. Then he talks later on about like that, like, um, you know, environmental commune that he was basically a part of Uh uh, was important. It was like he was seeking the community that he never had. Yeah, absolutely. He was like looking and forming it the best way he could. Um, And the, the one way he could try to make it work was, Bring Paula around along for the ride, like his last tether to that world that he left behind. Mm-hmm. And that is like, it's so hard to be put in that kind of position, like in Paula's position and to still um, maintain like a sense of autonomy, a sense of like individuality, you know, to, to not get lost in the person that you were essentially dedicating your entire life to. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like. What, what what kind of agency does Paula have, right? Like, and and the tension that has to form within that relationship, right? Absolutely. You know, like he talks about at one point how Paula, um, like a week before they were going to go on that trip for the environmental thing, Paula like pulled out of it. Yeah, and then he talks in depth about how scared he was mm-hmm. about being a public figure and. And I'm a much smaller, tiny, 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 tiny fragment of, like, fame compared to Elliot, right? But even from my perspective as a niche micro celebrity on the internet, that yeah, that is, the, the absolute um, conundrum of, like, wanting to do things alone and wanting to experience things alone, but then realizing the emotional taxing. Like no one who is at this, you know, event with him um, or hanging out with him is having the same experience that he is. It's way different for him than it is for other people through this experience. And not only that, but like like every single one of the acting roles that he really kind of took on, there were such heavy roles. I know. So many layers of trauma. Hard Candy alone. Oh my god. We watched Hard Candy um, on our Discord earlier this week and you know, Elliot does have a a few paragraphs about Hard Candy and the relationships he formed during that time period but I need to remind you all, he was 17 years old when this movie was being shot. Yeah. And the context and the heavy material of this is is absolutely nuts. And so many awful sexual assaults happened to him after this movie. Mm-hmm. It is really jarring to hear him talk about all of this um, and, and, and kind of how he views all of this in retrospect all these years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a, a, a line in there that I really wanted to highlight. At one point in chapter th- three, he says, um, what did you know is code for I don't believe you? Yeah, that hit. That hit so hard. It, it is something that we hear a lot as a trans person. You know, he talks about the differences between trans people and queer people. And he admits that the coming out for trans people is intrinsically different and in a lot of ways heavier. Mm-hmm. And when he says that line, it's it's true. Like that is one of the most frequently asked questions I'm asked. And it never makes me feel comfortable. It really, to me, it sounds like prove it, you know, like. 
Yeah, it's like, okay, well, if you weren't feeling these feelings when you were seven or six, how dare you, you know, um, express it now? You are, you know, you're trying to do the trend and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. All, the, all the stereotypes, all the projections, all of the assumptions are just like right there on the surface level. Yeah, it's so frustrating. It's, I also, um, in in chapter three, I, I found it very interesting how similar it seems like his like childhood experience is to like my younger brothers really yeah yeah um my my younger brother is is also trans he's very open about it that's that's the only reason i feel comfortable talking about it on the podcast yeah you know i wouldn't out someone yeah ollie's a great guy i could totally i could totally hear him like shoot the shit with us right now (laughs) yeah but like he he very much had like a, a very similar um like childhood and like um always like the tomboy like kind of always wanted the boys toy at, at mcdonald's you know yeah that that was also very interesting to hear elliot talk about about like it, his mom was like simultaneously um supportive and also not yeah. at the same time someone i was listening to the some of the chapters on uh, my tiktok live earlier this week and at one point we were talking um he was talking about how his mom would like make him, you know, dress differently and look differently when he was in public. And someone was like, oh, I wish his mom didn't do that. And I also needed to contextualize what time period this was in. This was the 90s. I would say in that time period, this mother was extremely progressive. And I, I think it's difficult to look through the lens that we know now. We have verbiage for it culturally more than we did before mm-hmm. and i think it's it, it was definitely man she was trying to the, the best she could to to raise a kid in halifax <laughs> you know kind of on her own for this time period i, I don't know i, I don't want to knock her for being as good as she could be in trying it on her own. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I absolutely hear you. Um, especially, you know, it's I, I find it really interesting that you're you're weighing in because like you you are like almost the same age as Elliot, right? You're like right. Elliot now. is about like six months young uh older than I am. Yeah. So like I was thinking that when we were reading this book, like it's it's just a fascinating read because so much of the things that he talks about, you know, in one chapter he talks about like um, I, I, I think he wrote down like the Nintendo he was playing with. I had the same Nintendo. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, he was talking about like, you know, the 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 various things that were from that time period, like wrestling. I literally watched the same wrestling that he did WWF at the time time period. It was like we we were growing up simultaneously. Um, in a parallel universes and hearing how, I mean, I didn't have the same experiences, right? Like mm-hmm. I grew up in maybe a similar like ruler area. That's also very like poor and not having a whole lot of options, but like I didn't, I didn't have the urges to like be in my gender really until later in life because I didn't have verbiage for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but hearing how he talks about it, it it's very interesting. Yeah, I also, you know, because I I am about like seven years younger or something like that. And I feel like I've had a different relationship with like coming out and queerness in general, too. And like just that small difference, you know, that that five to to seven years is like it it makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, 
This is I'm I'm so happy you brought this up because how old is Ollie? Ollie's like two years younger than you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really do think you're right. I I I I think that even trans people who are ten years older than me tend to be a lot more gruff. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they tend to be even more hardened. Um, you know, very funny, but they're very their humor is extremely dark. Every trans person I've ever met in their fifties and sixties uh, gives no two shits about being politically correct in any single way. And a lot of that has to be the, all the things that they survived yeah. from the AIDS epidemic and how few trans um, um, people, especially trans women, trans women of color, made it through the 70s and 80s. And it, 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 it coats your experience. The yeah. society and the way society reacts to our queerness and transness coats how we interact with it. I mean, I think the my favorite way I've ever heard it put was like, you know, if, if you weren't strong, you didn't survive. So, yes. Yes, and here's the thing. I want to live in a world where you don't have to be strong just to live your own independent Absolutely. life. Like, I yeah. want to live in a world where we get to be, quote, um, soft, quote. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Absolutely. I want to live in a world where that's okay. But if for so long, for trans people, we kind of couldn't be. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's just a, it's a fascinating aspect to, to read this and, and see it so clearly from my point of view. Um, and then knowing that for you, you had more representation, tiny bit more. Yeah. Um, but there was none. I, I'm surprised that Elliot didn't bring up, you know, Mrs. Dartfire. <laughs> you know, any of the these like now we look back at these films and these films were very much, you know, um, coding our experience and how we view trans people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that he talked a lot about um how he felt kind of like trapped a lot. I wrote down at one point the jail that he lived in, um, which was expressed by um, Amber, who was on my live the other day. And it really is like he, especially in, when he's talking about the Halifax explosion and how he's able to exp- like kind of link that to his own experience. Mm-hmm. And it really is like he's kind of describing an emotional prison. That, you know, his stepmother was extremely cruel to him. Right. His stepbrother, you know, beat him up. And boys will be boys mentality. But boy, you're not a boy. So you better not act that way. And it there is so much pain in this time period, especially from like 7 to like 14 until he kind of started having more independence. It It, it really is like... He's not even allowed to express these emotions in ways that people don't seem to think are is fit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I don't know. I might be reading into some things a little bit too much, but to me, like it really sounds like Elliot is like neurodivergent and then like has had a lot of. Um, I I honestly want to say I'm not, I'm not I'm not not here to diagnose anything. We're like, not going to no. do that. But doesn't it read like he's autistic? It does to me. It really yeah. does. As someone yeah. who is autistic and like I stim in a lot of the same ways that I'm seeing. The way, especially in chapter uh, 12, 13, and 14, uh, there are some very telltale uh, terminology that he uses. And I, and I, you know, again, I don't know. This could be us projecting and making assumptions based off of our own lived in experiences. But like, boy, he's describing something that seems very relatable to a lot of autistic trans people. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And also, Melissa uh, in the chat also says, uh, I also got 
those vibes as someone who also is autistic. And Dolly says, honestly, the same, um, like the thought pattern felt so relatable. 100%. The way that he talks about a lot of this is just, yeah, it's very fascinating the seeing all the links of our lives as trans people kind of being played out in his life, but a lot more privately. Mm. I also want to point out how vulnerable he is in this book. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting and it um it it encourages a lot of thoughtfulness for me too, you know, like I and it's it's hard to know exactly where to like draw the boundaries and like how much we should talk about um like especially in this format, but you know, it's yeah, he is so vulnerable and so many of his experiences are just so relatable. Yeah, he 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 talks about his sexual exploits. He talks about the first time he went to the gynecologist, like just a lot of this stuff, he doesn't mince words. He right. is so vulnerable and so honest and so straightforward about his experiences that I don't know. It's so weirdly endearing. and You feel you, you can't help but feel there with him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it yeah. really makes you feel like, oh, wow. I. This is a a thing that I realized probably halfway through this reading this week is how many cisgender people probably missed this who didn't maybe fully understand what he was doing in this mm-hmm. book. And I certainly read reviews before we started this book that feeling like a lot of people don't just don't understand this experience that we go through. Right. And hearing how vulnerable he is in, it, it really does feel like this book is for trans people. I don't know if you got that feeling, mm-hmm. but to me, like it's just it just feels like almost like a, a love lover to himself and his life. Yeah. But at the same time, the way that he conveys ideas, it, it almost feels like a love letter to the community itself. Yeah, it it doesn't feel like it was written for like cis consumption people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk a lot about like cis and um, heterosexual consumption. Um, it's something that we talked a lot about, you know, for me and my channel itself about how sometimes I feel like my stuff is made for cisgender consumption more than like maybe, you know, jewelry or luring skull, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and, and it can be hard to feel like you're having that like straight gaze. Yeah. This book does not feel that way. This book is actively pushing that gaze out. This book does not want those eyes on it. Right. And the way that he communicates these ideas is so blunt. And so, in a lot of ways, hard nose. It's and it's all on his terms. You yes, know? It, it is. It is. It doesn't feel like he's like writing this like for pity. It doesn't feel like he. You know, it's he is just telling his story, and he's had a very complicated story. There's so much nuance. Yeah, there is genuinely so much nuance. There, none of these things that he is saying are going to be pulled out of the book as like a gotcha moment. Yeah. They're all layered with nuance and and in a lot of pain and i do i really like the like the accountability that he took like where he says like he he fucked up with like some of these different relationships and stuff like yeah it's but 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 i also it's all coded with his trans experience yeah do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. he's struggling with himself and if you don't know yourself and you're lost and you're isolated and you're lonely how can you have a relationship? How can you have an honest relationship when you're not only a trans person who's closeted and you don't even have the terminology yet for your own experience, but you're also a public figure 
that is having their sexuality ripped apart and literally guessing people are making polls and games out of what their sexuality is when they are like 19 and 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote down at one point um, when he talks about like um, not wanting to have his hair long, but needing it to not wanting to wear the certain clothes that that they put him in, but he needed to, in order to assimilate, you know, before I became a burlesque dancer, I, I had a very similar experience in the acting world where I felt very much like I, I, I couldn't have tattoos. We were told not to have tattoos. Sure. We were told not to dye, dye our hair. We were told not to do any facial piercings or any piercings at all. You had to be what they called um, a blank canvas. And a lot of them said we had to be, um, you know, clay. Mm-hmm. And we were not allowed to mold ourselves. Others mold us for them, right? So hearing him talk about all of this and knowing the context, knowing how important it is for him at the high, like this is like the height of his fame in the late 2000s, early teens that like he, he he's in his early twenties, the time period where you want to experiment with what you're wearing yeah, with mm-hmm. what you want to experiment with, with your, with your appearance and you want to experience experiment with your expression. He wasn't allowed to, he wasn't allowed to, not just because of his mother at that point, but at this point, it was because of the career. It's like it's like his mother did similar things to him when he was like a teenager and an adolescent. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes adult, he's being subjected to the very same thing from an entire society and culture. Mm-hmm. That's so rough, dude. It's Yeah, absolutely. And like... I I know we kind of touched on it a little bit, but again, like it's so hard to like have a genuine relationship when you are essentially masking throughout every single interaction in your entire life. Like acting in and of itself is like a form of masking, right? Yeah. And then he has to continue to maintain that public persona, and then even in his own relationships, like. He's still figuring it out. And what happens when he's a kid? He escapes through the internet. And I could not wait to talk to you about this part. Because uh, Basil is very much like an e-kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I have had my own computer since the age of seven years old. I was homeschooled. So I grew up on the internet. When he is talking about, like, AIM Messenger and the experiences that he's having... Boy, man, that was some rough sauce, and being stalked at that age. And yeah. I mean, and this was also this was also after Hard Candy, right? Or was this before Hard Candy? I couldn't. The, the stalking, I think, was before, right? Was it? I don't know if it was actually before, because I maybe it was, maybe it was be before. But all that being said, it was absolutely like gut wrenching to hear him talk about all of this. And also talking about his eating disorder, and there are, we should have said at the beginning of this episode, there's really it's really hard to discuss this specific book without getting into triggers. Yeah, uh, and there from ED from self harm to um, you know very graphic sexual descriptions um, from stalking from sexual abuse. There really isn't any way to have an honest discussion about Elliot's life without addressing. All these ginormous um, things that he went through. Yeah, and again, I I think that it, that is so important um, 
to to talk about in the trans experience because like he does mention in the book like these are things that disproportionately affect trans people because of the way that society encourages us to like view our bodies like as a society you know everyone and it's it's so hard. It is so hard. Yeah, I mean, especially when he's talking about how he loved being an athlete, mm-hmm. and he like that's why he loved the roller derby so much for Whippet because he just loved being an athlete. He loved being strong. He like, loved having that. It was like a time when strength. he could feel good in his body. Yes, exactly. But knowing that he struggled for so long with ED, and he struggled so long with feeling like he had to look a certain way forget the roles that he that that he wanted you know mm-hmm. he really wanted you know mm-hmm. he really i i was i was surprised to hear how much he wanted you know i wasn't really honestly. because like th- that uh, it's hard to like fully describe like how influential i feel like that that specific role was for me as a person so like i'm a little bit biased talking about this but like it felt so so natural like, such a natural role for Elliot. Like, he just, like, slipped right into it. Like, all the music, all the references, like, everything. Like, I I could see him in that because I could also see myself in that. Now that we have done for the first 14 chapters and you've watched Juno recently, what is your takeaway now? Do you look at Juno differently? Does it coat your experience with the film or does it heighten it? Because I think Whip It and Hard Candy in a lot of ways are very heightened to me now. I don't know. Knowing how important these moments were in his life and how pivotal these specific films were, uh, it, it just really changes some of my perspective on them. Does it do the same to you? Yeah, I feel like everything has a few more layers to it for sure. And like I, I do even feel a little bit more attached to Juno knowing that even Elliot uh, listened to all of the same music in his own life before the movie, after the movie, like, and that's the same stuff that I've been so attached to. You know, later on in the book, he talks about how the, um, he was at the environmental um, thing and then someone played the very last song in the movie of Juno. Yeah, you're right. It's like omnipresent. It really is omnipresent in his life. Um, the wonderful Melissa in our chat was just talking about how like Juno um, herself in the movie is essentially gender nonconformity yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and I think that's such a really good, important part to talk about is that some of these characters in a lot of ways are outside of what your typical idea of a young girl is, mm-hmm. especially Whippet, right? Like Whippet, you know, he's playing a character that is kind of having his world thrust onto him, mm-hmm. right? He's supposed to be a pageant, you know, girl. He's supposed to, like, be all prim and proper. Um, his mom is uh, really pushing the idea of what he has to be onto him. And then what does he do? He escapes into an extremely queer-coded, yeah, um, extremely intense physical bump and bruises sport like roller derby it's very interesting to hear his like attachment to all that and what he's going through i also wrote down at one point um that the director was trying to groom him when he was younger do you remember that part in chapter seven yeah yeah that's you know not surprising um you know i feel like we 
as all these child actors are, are growing up more and like telling more of their stories, I feel like it's we all knew, you know, yeah. this was especially culture. for Elliot and Elliot was you know a, a small petite girl at this time period mm-hmm. and how what the things that they love to project onto him during this I, I think that's why his story is so intricately fascinating to me because of like his role that he had in the film industry for this time period and he he does ta- touch about inception and not knowing why he was in the movie inception and I also think that's funny that he brought up that because I've watched Inception and I've often wondered why is he in that movie? And it is really interesting to hear him kind of like, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. It was really interesting. Uh, I'll have to watch it again soon. I really want to watch it like very badly. Okay. Um, okay. Is that going to be another one that we watch together? Yeah, we can do that. We can make <laughs> We've that watched so much Elliot Page this week. Yeah, I've been watching Umbrella Academy, and it's been it's been really nice. Um, he talks about how at one point after that director was being awful to him, right, or that person was being awful to him, that he was on a treadmill and running. Do you remember this incident? Um, and the person is trying to talk to him like a famous mm-hmm. actor. Oh, that's what mm-hmm. it was. That's right, the famous actor that he does not name. Okay. I don't want to go on here and try to name the actor, but boy, it it bugged me for the longest time of who the fuck, what A-list actor was this, who who literally yelled, you're doing it for attention, that there's no such thing as a lesbian, and I need to, like, make you straight. What the fuck, dude? This is, like, 2009, or no, dude, this is a 2014, 2015. I'm this was like, sure it's a quick Google and you could find out because I did. as he said. I did. There is no, there's so many names. There, from Michael Cera to Johnny Depp to um, um, there, uh, to uh, Matthew McConaughey. There was a lot of suggestions, but no concrete. Nobody confirmed it. Nothing concrete. That's so interesting because like so many people witnessed it. Yes. That's the thing that drove me nuts. I was like, there what? How many? There's this an entire Hollywood was watching this in 2014 and 15. This is some of the largest names in the industry to the that, point where multiple friends who were not at the re- party reached him. out. Like, what the fuck? And we don't know. We should like ah. And of course, Elliot doesn't want to name names for so many reasons, and we're going to respect, we respect that and not that. make this into a guessing game. But I gotta tell you, it pisses me off. I want to know so bad, you know. But all that being said, knowing that he's running on the treadmill and this actor comes up to him and tries to have a conversation with him and he doesn't stop running. I wrote that down. What a complete power move of like, I don't give a shit what you have to say. I'm mm-hmm. just going to continue with my life and you're going to be stuck in 1954. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just mm-hmm. absolutely power. Just a wild thing. In chapter nine, I wrote down um, graphic sex talk. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he talks about, you know, his dick and his pussy at one point. Um, He he talks about having a thing for sweatpants, which made me laugh. I loved that chapter so much. But like, I I really have got to know what was it like listening to it? Like what him like hearing him talk about it? Okay, I got it. He is so. He's charming as fuck, dude. Oh, I uh, believe it. He, the way he, he never, it never seems abnormal for him to say this stuff. 
It seems so natural. It rolls off his tongue. He really, oh. the way that, again, I'm not, I, I typically have been reading a lot of these books that we've been doing. And I've been reading a lot of the books I read in 1.5 times. I read them fast and I listen to them fast because I lose track of it. And I need to kind of have it happen fast. Sure, yeah. I'm not doing that with this book. I'm reading it or I'm listening to it in real time in um, the time that it was originally recorded in. And the pacing and the flow that he has is unbelievable. I I don't want to say it too early because we're not through the book. I do think this is one of the best performed audiobooks I have ever listened to. And I think a lot of it is because it is a memoir. It is very much his story, but it's also very much a story that I think trans people can very much relate to. Yeah. And hearing him speak these words is so powerful. Yeah. yeah. And but also hearing him say like my dick and my pussy. I mean that's I mean that's fucking wildly hot, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, we are I, here I, for I, I it. Mean, I, I it was like I like literally was like <laughs> I was in the car like fanning myself like listening to to him talk about this. Um, it isn't. Yeah, Melissa says in the chat, so hot. It was yeah. so hot. Um, it was you know amazing. Um, I wrote down also so much homophobia, so much misogyny. There's so much that he had to endure. Um, uh, again. Kind of like the center of like, is this person a lesbian time period? You know, like mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. fantasization of lesbians, especially like the way that they, w- w- they they did that to people, especially just even 10, 15 years ago is wild. Um, okay, now we're getting into the teens of chapters. Um, a lot. Oh, yeah. Chapter 10 is a lot of t- discussion about his eating disorder. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, this is a, a quote that I wrote down that really hit me. And maybe you and I can probably relate to this a lot because we're on the Internet. So he wrote, I thought others around me wanted me to disappear, that I was preferred as an illusion. <sighs> yeah, it. It is so it is. I mean, again. It's so a unique experience to be such a well-known person and being an A-list celebrity himself and what it must feel like to know that everyone has a relationship with you, but no one has, it's not back and forth. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this on our end, right? Like people really feel like they're picking up a conversation that they've had with me, but they haven't. Right. And what that must feel like in his position. And as a trans person, the weight of the words, um, they wanted me, they preferred me as an illusion is really, that's some heavy shit. I feel like that in this, that quote could be on the cover of the book, dude. You know, this whole story for himself that he's telling is very much um, quoted by that. And everyone in the chat agrees with that quote, too. Another quote that I felt like was super, uh, like, just vital to the trans experience was the, how dare I acknowledge my silly pain is anywhere near hers. You know, it's like, 
I'm not like I. It's not. I'm not. I don't have it as bad. You know. It's it's like a deflection. Constantly it's, downplays it. Yeah. Constant. It's like gaslighting yourself. Like you know. Yeah. I mean, the way that he brings up his own trauma. What does he do? He brings up an, an uh, uh, a town disaster. He brings up um you know the explosion. The way that he can express his own pain is only through the pains of others. Yeah. Like he is like he doesn't give himself enough leeway or, or enough credit for the awful things that he's been through he's retelling it mm-hmm. but it, it's almost as if he doesn't believe he should feel this pain um it's very it's very fascinating in a lot of ways to listen to but can we just say the moment that he was talking about um dry humping a boy can we talk about that for a second and he literally says in the book at one point and dry humping was meh <laughs> <laughs> I died. Like he was talking about how he didn't really like a lot of these things with this boy, but the dry humping was okay. It was pretty fucking funny. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, I mean, yes, everyone in the chat also agrees they like the dry humping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now we're getting in the later chapters, and I have less to say in these moments right now because so much of it it's going to be linked to the furthering of the story that we're listening to. But hearing him talk about like how lonely he was during the most successful period of his acting career for the awards he was going to get and yeah. stuff, knowing how that was, knowing how that he turned down roles, he turned down roles because he didn't want to wear period period dresses, and he took um, Babe Ruthless and Whip It instead. Mm-hmm. So he literally turned down a period like Victorian, you know, outfit to wear you know, elbow and knee pads in a movie. I just absolutely like the writing was on the wall for his experience in so many ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Also his friendship with Christian, Kristen Wiig is so fascinating to me. Like I, I could listen to like four more chapters about his relationship with Kristen Wiig and about how, um, her and uh, the person who played Mabel in Arrested Development. I cannot remember her name. Um, but he 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 talks about that and about how he was like it was like the first time he was like vulnerable to other people within the industry, mm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all that stems from the community that he developed through a film, and. I just think it's so fascinating how often as trans people, we make community in order for us to come out. Yeah. And it's like we, in order for us to be ourselves, we almost need to like create a safety blanket. And Elliot really was attempting to do that over and over and over again. And I, I, I have to imagine that, you know, being in Hollywood and trying to do that has got to be so hard because, like, you create this, like, really, really intense intimacy with with your cast members for, like, this short period of time while you're working on these projects under insane conditions and working hours. Like, yeah. And then you might never see each other again. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Like, you, you, you know what? It's it's so hard. Like there really is not another job like that. It's so in, intense, but also like the the gender roles in which you're playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Whip It was a movie that was largely women. It was almost all women in this movie, except you know, um, <laughs> the coach, <laughs> and then the awful character Jimmy Fallon. We rewatched Whip It this week. Jimmy Fallon's character did not age well. 
Um, what a weirdly out of place character he is in that movie. I don't. I know this is not. I know this is not about him, but I just do not <laughs> understand why he was in that movie and how misogynistic his character was. It was just so uncomfortable. Yeah, um, to see him in that in that role. I mean, he is that person in real life, but <laughs> uh, absolutely wild. Um, I just want to touch very, very briefly, like on his first experience at the gynecologist's office. Yeah, I wrote that down too. And fucking the student saying, "I really liked you in Hard Candy." Yes, at- that movie specifically yeah, to bring I- up. I cannot. I my mouth. Just dropped, and wasn't that right before? Was it right before or right after? I cannot remember, but I remember just being my jaw dropped. Um, yeah, it it was was a wild experience, like constantly that he was going through. And another very relatable quote: "Perhaps if I have sex enough, I'll convince myself I enjoy it." Yeah, like. Yeah, oh, man, there's so much he was going through at this time period. I really can't wait for the rest of the chapters because it's going to be just filling in the blanks more and more. You know what I mean? So much of this book is, it's almost like the book itself is like, kind of like linked with every chapter. The more you, like, you could read this book twice and get two different full stories once you get everything woven in between each other. Also, we cannot leave up the fact that I think I think he may have gotten his name from E.T. Yeah, I that yeah, yeah. that's what it very much seemed like. Yeah, that it seemed like it was very clear that he drove he drove his name from E.T. itself, and then the very first Halloween costume afterwards was him as the kid is absolutely wild. Yeah, that was very sweet. Yeah, I wrote down again in later chapters community a few times. Yeah. Um and and that was basically where my notes left off. Um is there anything that we didn't talk about that you that we left out that you want to talk about? I mean, we we've covered so much and I know we could just keep talking about this forever, so we should probably start to wrap things up. Um I did just have like a couple of feedback questions if people could like let me know how like the speed uh we're reading this book feels. Um, I mean, I I felt like the the amount of chapters in in this week felt comfortable to me. I feel like it felt comfortable largely because the book was good. Yeah, and I I I I think that this book. I'm honestly, you could have told me to finish this whole book, and I would have. Yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of hard to to put it down. It was it's a very compelling read. It is. Yeah, there was moments where I was like, no, nah, I need to save some chapters for the day of mm-hmm. because I need to have it more fresh in my mind. But like it is it is such a captivating read. And it, it's also we have we still have like what? How many more chapters left? Do we uh, have? We are 14? about halfway through the book. Yeah. So, it's- yeah, I mean, there's so much more to talk about. I mean, like, I mean, he's just bringing up Inception now. You know, we're at, and there's there's a huge chunk of his career that I'm not really familiar with. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, especially leading up to Umbrella Academy, like I'm just very curious about all of this. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear him talk about Umbrella Academy. Yes, I, I, I really want to hear what he talks about, like what it was like to come out and having the response in which the world was having. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of people were just absolutely you know thrilled 
And then a lot of people were absolutely disappointed to lose a lesbian uh, icon, which is still like a, a wild thing to, to remember that that's what people were saying at the time period. Uh, oh um, okay. Are there any things that we expect or anything that we want to happen before the next one? Honestly, I'm just ready for the ride. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, you could tell me the next 14 chapters are just him describing his dreams <laughs> and I would be like, yeah, I'd be on go. board. Yeah. I would be on board with anything he does. He's such a good storyteller. So, yeah. So it, it's so, yeah. Also such a kind person. Like I, I, I really, he, it feels like he's so genuine. Also, I don't know if you caught the, the, the riff, but like, Seems pretty anti-capitalist. Oh no, one hundred percent an anarchist. Like yeah. I won't say not just an anti-capitalist. I mean, he seems like he would be in the front lines throwing a mocktail cocktail at a brit, you know, at a building. You know what I mean? Especially when he was talking about the environmental stuff. The yeah. environmental stuff and the way he talked about the environmental stuff was like, I think he might be one of us, dude. I know uh, it's been so fun to like see how closely our interests have like lined up. It's it's yeah, oh, it's because so again, like he's on this journey where he started one way. He started like kind of like as you know one way over here in uh, in Nova Scotia, and he starts over there, and then he like slowly like goes more and more and more anti-capitalist more and more hates the system more and more is bucking every chance he can at the standards which are being projected on him but also like of course he is yeah of course he is and i mean again i i i've mentioned this like privately but like you know just part of being trans is like it's little bit radicalizing you know <laughs> it is because once you break down that one barrier what's the point of all the other barriers yeah once you cross the line of expression within the binary of gender then what is binary means nothing to you it means nothing to you and when you are someone as famous as elliot page and you are someone who sees the inner workings of cog and machines you see how the press works. Mm. You see how wealthy millionaires work. You see how corrupt people are mm -hmm. at the very highest level. And then you come out as trans. I mean, I still don't know how Caitlyn Jenner is Caitlyn Jenner. I, I, still, I mean, I, I don't know how you can see all that and then be gender nonconforming in some way, shape, or form. And then have a shit view I, I just it blows my mind. You gotta be you got you gotta know the system is broken, but you don't want to. Be, you know you're afraid of what would happen if there was no system at all, mm -hmm. and you're just you're holding on to power. That's mm -hmm. what it honestly mm -hmm. feels like. Because like for Elliot, doesn't give a shit. Like a part of me at the very end of the book, I'm very curious because there isn't a whole lot of roles that Elliot has in in the works, right? Especially because Sag just got. You know, um, everything figured out this week. So as far as like his career going forward, I'm fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. I really want to know what it turns out to be, what it's like for him or if he will continue. Yeah. I know he has some works in the progress, but like at the same time, I could see him walking away from all of it and not really thinking twice about it. I don't know with with like the the way that he seems to be so 
involved in stories and storytelling. I, I do think that he will continue to do that in some way. I, I, I would be heartbroken if he didn't, mm-hmm. you know, especially because he's so good at it. I mean, in Hard Candy, we did talk about this, of how good of a young actor he was mm-hmm. and how intense that movie was. And he held his own. Like, there was not a moment in that movie where I felt like, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, there, there was like no know, break of character. Yeah. There was it was so just intense. And then Whip It, I didn't even notice it. And Whip It, I didn't. And also, don't 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 forget, Hard Candy is literally like two people, and that and Sandra O oh, at one random point in the movie. <laughs> but um, but like, literally, it's only two people. It's a tour de force of mm-hmm. just him and the person who plays Jeff, like um, Patrick Wilson. Right? No, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I wrote it down at one point, but eh. but anyways, all that being said, just I yeah, I loved it. I'm I'm obsessed with this book already, um, and I I'm obsessed. I love it. Cool. I have no. I, I could talk for another hour if you wanted me to. Literally, I could too. So we should wrap this up. Um, let's go. Go get snug as a bug in a rug. Go finish this amazing book, and we can talk about it more next week. Thank you all for being here, and take care. Bye. Okay. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Basil's Book Bugs Podcast. I am here with Mercury. We just finished reading Page Boy by Elliot Page. Yeah, we are done. We have finished the book. We did it. Wow. And we did it in two weeks. We did it in two weeks. And I don't think this was a particularly hard book to read. I don't think so either. I I, I think this was like one of the fastest read books I've ever read. And I think partially it was just like, it just went down like butter. I really, I have so much to say overall about the book. Um, But before we begin, like, what are your thoughts? The overall vibe check of the book, you know? Ah, overall, um, I am very pleased with it. It was like such a compelling read. It was very easy, very consumable, you know? Um, I am walking away. Feeling like I know now that Elliot Page is kind of a horn dog. I just want <laughs> you to know. I I like know now. I was like, oh yeah. I mean, this book is pretty spicy. <laughs> well, I mean, and like also knowing now that we finished the book that he's been on testosterone for just over a year. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, one hundred Yeah, one hundred percent. Um. I love it so much. And Melissa also agrees that um, Elliot is a little bit of a horn dog. <laughs> <laughs> and so does Dolly as well. Okay. All that being said, um, yeah, I think the, the book was a really easy read. Again, I liked the nonlinear storytelling. Me too. I think that now the book is over. I think I would dare say that this was done like a movie. Mm. This was done like a movie flashback, and that's gotta be attentional, right? Yeah. Like there, it, it's if so. The the main thing, the overarching from beginning to the very end, has a lot to do with his transition in the last year, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But between those chapters, he's had multiple stories of when he's growing up, and you know what is happening, and then. I see the correlation of those moments with his current self. Yeah. I see it. I can see how other people would disagree. 
But to me, it as a trans person, it's like a plain as day mm-hmm. that that is being used to kind of like demonstrate the struggle in which he was on as a closeted trans person for 34 years. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you really have to read this book through a lens of queerness because that is the the through line in yeah. all the stories. I don't know how you, I don't know how you read this book and you walk away thinking that he didn't talk about trans people enough. I don't know how you walk away and and be like, oh, it's too gay. I don't know. I, I just don't get that because, like, to me, there's something intrinsically human about it, but also very relatable to the queer experience. Like, I don't know. I think it was very, it was a very beautiful overall story, and I'm really happy that we read it. Me too. And I was mentioning to to Danny earlier that like I I think it's really cool how it is like a story and like he never tried to make it like an example of like what the trans experience is. Not you know, it was time. just he was telling his story. It was it. it was paced so well. I mean, we're going to get into it, but the the chapter about flatliners. Mm. I I don't know. That was almost better than the spicy chapter to number 24, right? But that, I think, actually, wait, isn't Flatliners in 24 now that I'm talking? I think it might be. Um, Flatliners is chapter 22. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, that being said, like, that whole experience with Flatliners is wild. I watched uh, a clip of the scene that he's talking about. It looks like they are scared shitless. In that uh, moment. Uh, It's scary. It is a scary thing. Also, I didn't watch the coming out of the Umbrella Academy. Have you? I did because I am just watching Umbrella Academy currently. Mm -hmm. And oh my god, it's so good. Is it? Yeah, we can go over that. I can can play it later and we can like do a little screen share moment. Yeah, we can totally try that. But okay, all that being said, are you ready to kind of like go chapter by chapter? Or do you have any more overarching thoughts before we want to dive right in buddy um i think let's let's go chapter by chapter and then maybe we can wrap up with some more final thoughts at the end yeah that sounds like a deal all okay we start in chapter 15 um this chapter was basically in my like overall viewpoint of this chapter it was very much um talking about him finally seeing what it was like from the other perspective of someone being closeted Mm. and I think that was an important experience for Elliot because like you really you really see how it could be even worse than how Elliot was closeted, right? Um I don't know, it was a fascinating story that he had with his girlfriend at that time period. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And like I mean they were both just so deeply closeted and like that in in of itself is such a foreign concept to me because like i was never yeah i was going to ask you about this yeah because uh, okay a lot of this these like next four chapters to me are very much a queer trans person's perspective who lived during a very specific time Mm -hmm. and i related to so much shit he was talking about in these next couple of chapters and references he was making and why he was the way he was, um, and why he did, made the decisions he did. Um, but the closeted thing is real. Like, it, even later on when he talks about being closeted once he knew he was trans at, like, 31 and then mm-hmm. waited another three or four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
there's this overarching moment in his life where where there's always a struggle of the public perception of him yeah and then the internal reality of himself constantly and i think ryan was in a lot of ways the antithesis to it like mm. there was no way to avoid what that does he got to see firsthand how it wrecked somebody mm-hmm. how like this person was willing to hide from their family and even their sisters and their friends and they were together for two years and no one know that they were dating i mean that's some wild stuff yeah and then and then the uh his girlfriend ryan literally suggested to get beards <laughs> <laughs> that that was a wild read. I was like, whoa, 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 really? <laughs> That's wild. I thought it was interesting too that um I saw a lot of similarities in how like the um the turning it on and off um in public versus private is is very similar to um his relationship with his dad too. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, honestly now that you bring it up, it's actually in some ways a relationship with his mom too, but the way she treated him in private, the way she treated him publicly was also very different. Mm. Honestly, it's a lot, a lot of the, even Kate later on, we're going to get to that relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh my God, that's a very good point. There is always the struggle for Elliot. There feels like there's this ongoing struggle of Feeling like people can only see a portion of Elliot and never really seeing who he is. And boy, that is a wild reality for him. I think he even calls it out in one of these chapters where he's like, I mean, if you're always holding part of yourself back from from even yourself, how can you truly be present in a relationship, you know? Absolutely. I got a quote that I'm trying to figure out what I was trying to spell. Uh, (laughs) Okay, yeah. There's at one point he describes it like saying, um, the eyes would spill the queer beans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's these moments where he like the way he's able to poetically sum up certain experiences through this book is quite good. I wrote down several very poignant yeah. quotes that he had. Absolutely. That I was genuinely impressed that he could convey, you know. I also I did take note that like the the second half of the book does feel a little bit like lighter, like more hopeful, you know? There is. There's a much there's a darkness in the first half of this book. I would say the first seven chapters have a certain like feeling of like depending doom. And maybe that is in you know, some ways by design Mm -hmm. because so much of his trauma is in the early part of his life Mm. and the early part of his career and everything. There's another quote saying when he realized that he could no longer be with, with Ryan and Ryan was with that boyfriend. um, He said, existing in a way she could never be with me. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also not to mention this is a time period where he hasn't come to terms with his trans reality yet. Mm-hmm. So he is seeing a woman that he's in love with, be in love with a man, and he, them existing publicly and yeah. in their friend group. And he doesn't... I mean, that that there's a double-edged sword to that that is very interesting, just from the trans perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's where I'm at with chapter 15. Do you have anything else to add, buddy? Um, I think that's 
all I've got for 15, so we can move on to chapter 16, Speedo. Oh, my God. (laughs) I thought this was so interesting how um, he's very much contrasting, like, these feelings of dysphoria and then, like, his first feelings of euphoria, which, honestly, most trans people, I feel like that when they experience euphoria, that's when it clicks. Yeah, 100%. Because when you never... I mean, you never know what it could be on the other side yeah. until you you get it, right? I mean, not to mention, this is also the, the chapter where he talks about with Kyle. Mm-hmm. This was the first queer, like, o- other queer person that he saw interact with the world. And I think yeah. that had a lot to do with why he stayed in the closet yeah, for so long. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, it's it's the way he describes how they made fun of Kyle and how they put him down, and they saw the, how Kyle felt so defeated, mm-hmm. and then realizing later on, I mean, he's in the closet so hard. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. But yeah, no, I agree. The gender euphoria in this in this chapter is pretty surreal. And then when he's talking about being out at the beach now with with his scars just out and visible. Yeah, I like the way that he threw that in there. That was really you know, nice. like he, he's telling one story and then all of a sudden, boom, right in the current time period. And again, there is something cinema- cinematic about this book. I wonder if this is almost like a screenplay for him. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like that is very much like how I would imagine his brain would work because that's that's what he's done. Yeah, you're right. That is what he has probably read more right. than almost yeah. anything else, right? Like he's probably read so many screenplays, but it is so wonderfully cinematic, and I think it's very easy to follow. But I can understand why someone would would disagree. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else to add in chapter 16? I don't really have a whole lot other to add than just to point out those two things. That, yeah. that I think that the, the, the showing case, showing that he realizes what his life could have been, mm-hmm. right? If if he didn't go through puberty and all, the, all that. But then also showcasing seeing a queer adult yeah. and how they were ridiculed. Right. I think those two parts, to me, carry through the rest of the book mm-hmm. and really come to head later in the book. Okay, chapter 17, my friend. Yeah, Crash. So this is all about his, his father, emotional rela- uh, manipulation, dissociation, going nonverbal. Yeah, if chapter 16 talked briefly about the euphoria, this is talking about dysphoria in ways that, honestly, we don't get enough of. I mean, he he's pressured into having to wear dresses and mm-hmm. having to be a certain way, even young on, before his career really started taking off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean the car accident itself when he's on going to therapy. I mean that, dude. <laughs> you know, like that, that. There's a lot in this one, and like how I like how he's able to now like sh- be very clear about how he was using all of these things as distractions, as ways to avoid what was like actually happening for him. You know. Yeah, I mean he says at one point. Um, he, that he was performing in his personal life. That mm-hmm. he didn't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so... Man, if there is so much universal truth for transness in here. I can't get over it. I just cannot get over how so much of the struggle that we have as a trans community 
does really feel universal, but we don't always have the language for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it, when you're going through these things, especially as a child, and you, if you're not in a supportive family or a supportive environment, it, it, you don't have the language. You don't have the language. You don't have the repre- representation. You don't have the strength. Because it's hard to have strength when you feel like you're carving in a whole different world for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, when you feel like you're completely alone. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else for that one? I don't know if I do. I mean, there is. Oh, oh no, we got to talk about this part. Uh, Mark Randall makes his first introduction into this chapter. Uh, who's the voice of Arthur? And right. I got super excited about that. When uh, Elliot talked about him That's being the right. voice of Arthur, right. I like immediately looked it up and watched a, a couple of scenes of from Arthur. Uh, I loved that show as a kid. Um, yeah, he talks about Ghost Cat in this, which I watched a scene from Ghost Cat, uh, which was very indie, like an extreme indie um, um, a movie that he was in. I did not look up any of those. That that must have been really interesting. It was really interesting, especially seeing Elliot so young. Yeah. Elliot's like 14 or 15. Like, a fucking baby in this. It's wild. I, I will also say there is something in here that I've, we're, we talked a lot about isolation and about like struggling with this stuff. But when he, he says something about child actors are often isolated, but never alone. Mm-hmm. Boy. Fuck, man. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dolly says, um, this is a quote from the book. If my dad was not defending me, clearly I must be the problem. Um, boy, is that not an absolute, like, oh, man, that cuts. That cuts so hard. How right. easy it is for us to blame ourselves. Right. And I mean, it's it's so important too that like we are constantly sending messages to all the people around us through our actions and we have to be aware of that and i feel like so many parents are not aware of the the messages they're sending to their kids melissa says anytime that he mentions a celebrity that turned out to be nice i felt so relieved (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay all i gotta say is later on in the book when he talks about how nice hugh jackman is I like took a ginormous like oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Okay, are you ready for chapter eighteen? Yes, intuition. Um, yeah. So they talk about Mark um, in this one and how he's not not so much friends with Jack anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't. I actually don't have a whole lot for this one. Um, the things that I wrote down was that he was about twelve. Yeah, I wrote down he was about 12 at the very beginning of this. I don't know if he was by the end of it. Um, I always try to write down the ages of whenever we find out what age he was. To try to like, That's a good idea. To try to figure out what age. But in a lot of times, you don't truly know. You know he's, an, he's a teen or he's before puberty or just after puberty. You know that, but you don't know the age too much. Mm-hmm. Um, all they talk about recording um, asides. And then with it, v- VHS and all that, which is wild. I just, and if I hear VHS, I'm just like instantly taken back to a whole t- different time period. Yeah. Um, and then he talks about another movie that he was in, which was I Downloaded a Ghost, which I did <laughs> not look at that one up because it was a small, like, made for TV movie. Um, but yeah, 
I mean, he also has a moment of clarity on acting during chapter 18 as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, you know, he talks kind of about how, like, it didn't seem like everyone else kind of saw how serious he was about it. Sure. But he saw the path. He saw, like, almost like this world opened up to him and he knew exactly where to walk in order to make it all work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very interesting because I've also similar feelings when we've run our business when we've done things that was where i ask you i have said a couple times to you like i just know something's gonna happen Mm -hmm. i know it. i don't know what but i know this is the route we have to take and the way that elliot refers to it i just think is really cool a moment of clarity yeah i thought that that was really cool um i did also like how um he was talking about like disappearing into roles and how he was getting these like fresh starts on new sets and like oh yeah that's right that's right he literally talks about how it was almost intoxicating mm-hmm. to he was addicted to the idea of restarting yeah. every time and dude doesn't that also sound like i mean again i don't mean to make everything about being a trans person what I mean, but come the fuck on it dude really does. it was a, it really a different re, uh iteration of himself every single time in a different group of people that was different every single time yeah you know what i mean like that is that that is kind of like we're trying to rebuild ourselves and find the right path. Mm-hmm. And when you're a trans person, it's a lot of trial and error. And it felt like Elliot was trying a lot. I mean, he does talk about the clothing that makes him comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's never dresses. Never. It's never thing anything that's traditionally feminine. You know, he balks at the idea when he is being told that he has to wear a blue dress. And, oh, yeah, by the way, during that experience in the last chapter that we kind of already went through, um, he talks about that blue dress and the photographer, right? Did you notice when the photographer says to him, um, do you even talk? Autism. Autism. He was having like, okay, I don't, again, we we, going into last week's episode, we don't want to like project anything onto Elliot that he hasn't told us himself. Right. right? We don't, we don't want to say he is autistic. Right. But boy, did that seem. Yeah. very similar to what so many of people in our lives who are autistic have had, right? There's nonverbal moments, Mm -hmm. especially linked to a very uncomfortable wardrobe. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a good bathroom? I really do. You got to go to the bathroom. I have to pee so bad. No, don't worry. This is the part of the podcast where Mercury will just talk about random stuff for the (laughs) next three minutes. Everyone, if you if you don't know this, uh, Basil has the bladder the size of a pea, and <laughs> every time we do anything, um, Basil just literally will be like bouncing up and down. Basil's very bouncy. <laughs> He's a very bouncy human being. Um, but all that being said, uh, Melissa and Dolly, who are our current watchers on our Discord. Do you have anything to chime in with as we're waiting? Like, do you have any thoughts about the things that we're already reading? Any overall thought process that you may have? Um, I mean, yeah. Melissa says we could talk about how much um, Elliot mentions anxiety shits in this book. I mean, 100%. I actually, um, I told Basil at one point when we were in the van traveling to one of our book signings. That I think he needs to retitle this book from Page Boy to Secondhand Embarrassment. <laughs> because there's several moments. I mean, 
either it was some of his, you know, sexual exapades when he was a kid or, you know, either it was, um, you know, like something that would happen that was like really like cringe inducing. I mean, there's a lot of moments. Elliot is so vulnerable in the sense of like even tells you like about his warts. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's so wild to me that he's so straight up and honest about all of this. Um, Melissa says, I love that though. I struggle with um, IBS so like, yeah. <laughs> uh, anytime he mentions running to poop somewhere, I'm uh, I'm like, I finally get it. He gets me. <laughs> but I mean, also that is um, uh, very heavily linked to uh, being autistic as well. Really? Also, digestive issues. Dolly says there's literally a part of the book where he says he's shitting blood. And that is true. He does say that one time. I, again, it is, it is, this is a wild read. Okay, Basil, you're back. I am back. I thank you for that um, little brief pause here. Don't you worry. Mercury could talk about paint drying and making it interesting. (laughs) Okay. All that being said, now we're going on to chapter 19. Old Navy. Old, I literally just wrote that down. That's all I have down for the whole chapter. Okay. Um. So I don't remember what old, old nineteen was was. So in old navy, uh, we get uh, the backstory of mom. She's a daughter of a minister. Both parents died um, by the time she was twenty. Oh, that's right. Yep. And um, then her. I think her sisters go to live it with her aunt yep. in Virginia. We're back to generational trauma. We're like, you know, early on in the book, we talked about that, about how he relates generational trauma to the entire town in which he was in. Yeah. I mean, there is, again, it's surprising that his mom was able to be as good of a mother as she truly was. Like she tried so hard to keep shit together mm-hmm. um, during that time period. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and while she was also working through everything. Yeah. And then when they're on these like trips to go visit the remaining family that she has, like I can only imagine like the kind of pressure that he must be feeling. Yeah. D- didn't, didn't they say at one point that he had a like dress up too? that like, he had to like be more girly for them and stuff too. Wasn't that, um, they were talking about an experience, um, here where they're with the cousins. Um, and he was not like wearing girly clothes and oh, like right. the cousins were like making fun of him. Um, and then there was a, like a sweet 16 birthday party that was yeah. supposed to be planning. And so this is why he goes to Old Navy with his mom to, like, go get the girl clothes. Yeah, absolutely. Melissa says, I agree. But also, tried to imagine the relief she felt that Elliot was actually asking for these clothes rather than feeling like she was forcing them onto him. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, again... I, I think that looking at his mom through the lens of modern day standards of how to like raise your queer kid is so dramatically different than than what she was doing in the nineties. I, I I really I don't know this I part of it I really admire her for it. Mm-hmm. I, I I know I know that ultimately some of this probably left everlasting scars on Elliot. 
But growing up in the family that I did, where I didn't even have that, yeah, I just I just cannot imagine how it could get better in the nineties. I know it did for a lot of people, but it it I don't know. It was it, it's a, it's it's a hard it's a hard reality. I think in that part of the book, I think it's also important too that he does tell us kind of early on that he his mom has made a lot of improvements and like has yeah, which is also an antithesis to his father. Who is now very much like a Jordan Peterson nut, and we can get late. We can get into that later on. But boy, you know, um, yeah. Anything else to add in nineteen? Um, I also I noticed like a little bit of a theme about like maybe some shame about his uh, like family's financial standing. Oh um, yeah, he does talk about being poor a lot more. Mm-hmm. In this part of the book than he did earlier on, I, d- does he say if they ever like how truly poor they actually were? I think that in this chapter he said that like it wasn't in there was like no money in the budget for shopping. Yeah, but yeah, I mean he alluded to be basically being um, maybe like lower middle class, right? Like working class. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Because yeah, I mean, and which I can also understand, especially during that time period. Because I remember, like, I got one shoes for like three years, from like nine, ten, and eleven, and I like they were oversized when I was nine, mm-hmm. and they were just right when I was ten, and then they were too tight when I was eleven, right? But you don't get rid of shoes until you're busting out of seams at that point when you're growing up. Yeah, you know? we we only did thrift shopping. That was yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, we didn't even shop for the like most of my middle school and high school, like early high school until I started my own job. Um, we basically everything was hand me downs. Mm-hmm. Everything was everything we had was hand me downs. Um, I don't think I had any clothes that my family paid for for maybe the first fifteen years of my life. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's rough. Oh yeah, the only thing that's not true is is with a suit. Are my Sunday's best. That's the only time my mom ever bought me clothes when I was younger. Um, but anyways, moving on through that, though. You want to move on to chapter 20? Yeah, we can move on to chapter 20. Just lean in. The first thing I wrote down was, um, Elliot can speak French to me any day. <laughs> <laughs> I Because, again, you in the audio... I Again, I, I listened to the audiobook version. So whenever Elliot drops his French accent... Oh... Oh, God, dude. Jesus Christ. Could he be any more attractive? <laughs> and that's so funny because doesn't he say it somewhere in the book, too, that, like, French was never, like, really his thing. Like, he wasn't very good at it. Yeah. But also, yeah, yeah, it's so fun. I could care less. I, don't, I, could, <laughs> I could care less if this was good French or bad French. It was uh, attractive and honestly arousing no matter what. <laughs> yeah okay um give me what you got buddy um so for chapter 20 i just what are my notes um uh the through lines are like crushing on girls like the nikki gets brought up the almost but not quite you know relationship the first time being like in love with someone you know like yeah like not really labeling it that way you know what 100 percent. i mean it is it is so wild to me um 
the way that he talks about his relationships for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, like even when he did the mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> That was so cute. Yeah, it was really cute. It was so cute. Um, when he was sixteen, I think, right? And like and she was like thirty years old, I think. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that he circled back to try to get the CD. That oh man. Also, I just want to remind you, Basil. Do you ever burn a CD? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you, yeah. I mean, man, there was that time period of burning CDs, dude. Oh my god, LimeWire, you know. <laughs> Um, he also at one point he there's a quote in the book where he says maybe I'm the only queer. Mm. God, how lonely this must have been as a 16 year old kid, dude. I also wrote down the quote, "Why couldn't I feel more?" And it's like, oof. God damn. Oof. That's so mean. My God, there's so many quotes in this book that are just they're gut wrenching, dude. Right, right. Because like the, this whole time that you know he's like hooking up with these boys and like doing all this stuff, like. It's because like that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, is this know? the is this a chapter when he would go to the bathroom? Yeah, okay. So that's what Melissa was saying. Yes. Melissa wrote, um, Elliot, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> Mercury, can I go with you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, he got very uh graphic in that chapter specifically, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wrote down um it was um did I write Oh, yeah. He wrote down how the boy that he was, like, hooking up with and stuff, um, it was always focused on his pleasure. Yeah, I yeah, there's just a lot of, like, little moments in here about that. Yeah, yeah. There is so many things in this book that are just so heavily relatable. Uh, all right, should we move on to Chapter 21? Yeah, I mean, okay, not to, like... <laughs> Yeah, that the the whole like being with, especially when you're younger. The sometimes when you're with people and they're only caring about themselves. There was a time period where every boy I hooked up with, I always felt like, oh great, I I I have to be automatically the bottom, even though that's not the role in which yeah. I am I'm comfortable with. But like it it was it was always weird. These like queer relationships especially like you're struggling with certain stuff and you're trying to figure things out and what we will tolerate just to be an experiment you know because that's kind of what that old that was for elliot was experimentation right yeah absolutely and then like also if if we do want to like continue under this assumption that like he may be autistic like i know that a lot of autistic people um I've been having this conversation with one of my friends online um, where like you kind of try on different roles in, in the bedroom a little bit to like kind <laughs> of figure out what the fuck yeah. is going on with, with sex. Cause I, it is a social interaction. Yeah. I mean, the, the, for, for the first like six months after I came out, I um, as trans, I thought I like I I had a hard time being dominant like I instinctually am in bed mm. because it was like like it, it felt dysphoric but I didn't I didn't know how to be a femdom right sure. like I didn't have that understanding I didn't know how to move in my body I felt like before I could be masculine and and i felt okay but then after I came out I felt like I couldn't mm-hmm. um so it was really. Diff- it's difficult to put on those hats and not really fully understand and know 
Also, Dolly pointed out that he was in school when he was doing his exploitation and his yeah. experimentation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, to be honest, though, I mean, who didn't hook up at some point in school? That's all I mean, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, if you didn't hook up, Dolly, that's on you. <laughs> but okay. Chapter twenty-one. Yeah, let's go for it. The healthy way. Um, I the the through line that I I really noticed first in this chapter was the being drawn to queerness yeah and yeah yeah like uh getting turned on f- for real for the first time you know yeah kissing a girl and running away i mean and then coming back right. <laughs> for real uh, i wrote down the quote um i yearned to be near what was possible her visibility meant the world to me i think about that as i walk through the world now like oh, oh fuck god damn yeah that was about that was about jessica right because he he ended up kind of hooking up with jessica and everything too i think that that is interesting do you ever find yourself as a trans or a queer person at all sometimes hooking up with people but also like dr- dramatically admiring them at the same time do you know what i mean they're, they're almost i don't know how to say it, it it's kind of like there's some of the people that i hooked up with when i was younger in my early 20s um, I look back now and I don't know if I actually necessarily had as much feelings about them as I knew that there's parts of them that I loved about that I wanted to be. Yeah. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. That I like, um, you know, either it was like a girlfriend who was like really like almost Victorian in the way that she handled herself and the way she could like dominate a room just by being silent and the way that she projected her femininity, I was just always drawn by that. But but that wasn't actually something I was innately attracted to. I just wanted to be close to it. Mm-hmm. I think Elliot, in a lot of ways, expresses that, especially with a relationship with Jessica that does not continue after that. Yeah, and I mean, there's so many different kinds of attraction and, like, different ways to, like, have that be manifested, you know? Like, it's yeah. it's so complicated. It is so complicated. Um, We can talk about the later parts of this chapter that are mostly about that director, if you want. Or is that actually in chapter 22? Is that chapter 22 when he talks about that director? Um, Oh, that's right. That is chapter 22 when he talks about that director. Yeah. Well, do you want to move on to 22? Yeah, let's go for it. Chapter 21 was pretty short. um, I wrote down so much shit. This is I, I wrote down it. so much stuff. Let's hear it. So I wrote down first and foremost, um, Flatliners, 2016. But this was like shortly after he came out. This was the first movie I think that he did after he came out as queer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, at the time as a lesbian, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks extensively about this this car stunt, and I think I was so drawn by this because I think it's like if we look at the car stunt thing. And we relate it to a lot about like how Elliot feels about himself in general. It's similar, right? Yeah. Like he gets into a car and he sees everyone else has a safety feature on. He doesn't. And so does someone else next to him. He doesn't speak up, right? I, I think there's something so interesting yeah. about the power dynamics in Hollywood. The power dynamics within our society that don't like really empower AFAB people to really speak on themselves and to speak for themselves, but often other people speak for you, right? 
So I think this this is why this scene was so wild to me. Because at this time in that movie, there was no bigger star. He was the biggest star in that movie. And they were not keeping him safe. They did not give a shit about keeping someone who, as famous as Elliot Page alive. I also thought it was very notable. It wasn't the only other person who didn't have a seatbelt, the black woman. Yes, it was. It was. The two. And also, I, I thought about this a lot. And I read an article online where the head stunt person who was um, was the person who did, like, he did an interview about this. And he said, typically, people of their weight wouldn't have been an issue. Yes. Yes. I, that's the look I was going for, Basil. Basil just gave me, like, a, are you I'm kidding me look? Yeah. I think that that is something that I think about a lot, is that, like, people think sometimes... The stupidest things, and they don't even realize that it's sexist. And it's yeah. like an absolute, like, they should still be wearing a fucking safety harness, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just wrote down the fact that someone called him the mayor of Six Flags Magic Mountain. No one calls yourself that, Elliot. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no one calls you mayor of Six Flags, buddy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, he, he talks about boundaries and not setting them up at all. Um, I actually wrote down, I think this is a good example of like how to set boundaries before everything happens. You know, like often we just do things and we don't think about how that could affect us negatively. And we Mm -hmm. just like go with it. It's hard to say, I don't want to do this before it ever happens. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you only have this part because you're black. I wrote that one down. Someone said that right to his co-star wild to me um also like day one or day two of filming um the costume didn't make sense and then he didn't like the costume and then the director told him and made everyone else go home but it was just elliot Mm -hmm. and said are you mad that your character isn't gay ouch dude yeah it was it was so interesting. Like this whole this chapter, was... it really just feels like it's all about different kinds of minority struggles and power imbalances in Hollywood. Again, this is 2016, man. This is 2016. It's not that long ago. This is recent history, man. Eight, seven years ago, eight or seven years ago. Absolutely wild to me. Not to mention the whole like um, the code of long wavy hair that's soft. Do you know what I mean? Like. There's just a lot of this code in this chapter that really just kind of kills me. Um, And he does touch on, like, in the end of the chapter, he thinks a lot of this stems from how he wasn't protected as a a kid. Like, there there was no um, role model, essentially, for for him to even think about setting these boundaries. Yeah. It's... At one point... As, as as we progress this this chapter, he uses this kind of as an example of how there's so many like external factors that make him that are more important to him than his transness, right? But for so many people, his transness is like everything. And before he transitioned, his femininity was everything but it was a, such a small fraction of him mm. it's so fucking wild dude um and also he the, the one of the very last quotes of that chapter is 
now or never alive or not mm-hmm. oh yeah that stood out to me too yeah so. because this was the first part where you find out that holy shit well going into chapter 23 you start really finding out holy shit around age 30 is when he was first having the thoughts and he's 36 right now and only came out when he was 34 mm-hmm. so like there was years of him leading up to this but that's the thing too you know like I feel like this gets brought up a lot, especially with people who are very in the public eye and who come out as trans. And people think that, like when they come out publicly, that's the first time they're coming out. Yeah, I wrote that one down as well. It's it's like the tip of the iceberg, right? Yeah. That's all yeah. they see, but it has been years in a development. Yes. And then people will have the gall to say there was no science. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't about? know about that. <laughs> um, yeah, he also has a habit of invalidating his own experience. Mm-hmm. You know, he, 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 in chapter 23, especially, he kind of talks about that and he asks the friend, um, do you think I'm trans trans? And his friend says, I could see that. Mm-hmm. And then he immediately invalidates himself because he doesn't think that he's enough of that you know he doesn't want to hurt trans people by it and yeah yeah i I wrote down um chapter 23 goes hard (laughs) yeah yeah it sure does and and like the the title of it too like is is once you get to like the end and like you really fully can appreciate i like to go okay when i finish a chapter i like to go back and like read what the chapter name was to like yeah especially in this book Mm -hmm. especially in this book because i feel like they're strategically chosen. Absolutely. Very much. Absolutely. It's like a track of a song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you write all the songs and then you go back to find the right tempo of each of those songs and then like, you know, make the title of it. And it really does feel like that's what happens with this book a lot. Um, Melissa wrote down, I think cis people don't appreciate how much internal work has to go in for a trans person before they start telling people in their lives especially trans people who come out as adults. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is hard sauce, man. Um, Ren, who just chimed in here, said, agreed with Alyssa, uh, Melissa, and how many times um, some trans non-binary people start and stop the internal work and how many delays there are before some of us come out to ourselves even. Yeah. And all that before a word is even spoken to others. Mm-hmm. 100% Ren. Like we start the work and then we stop the work. I know that happened to me. I mean, I got tied up with Blair White. You know, I got so hung up what Blair White thought about trans people that I thought, oh, there's no way that I, I fit her idea of what it sure. is to be trans. Mm. So I might as well just you know, think about this for, for two years, you know? It hadn't even, like, occurred to me that that could have been a possibility for me. There was, like, a lot of people who were, like, really surprised when I got my top surgery. But, like, I had been wanting to get a breast reduction since I was, like, 15, 16. Yeah. And then one day I was like, oh, wait, I can just, they don't have to actually be there at all. I can just get them off. But, but oh. See, but also that's wild to me. That anyone would be like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like, I, I didn't see that coming for Basil. Have you ever spoken to Basil? I mean, <laughs> really? I don't know, dude. There, I don't know. Like, I can't, I can't. This is the thing I think is so interesting about trans people themselves. Can you imagine us if we weren't trans? 
Right? I can't. I cannot. Like, we have some of our best friends around us. A lot of people in our lives are trans mask or trans femme. And I, I, it's wild to me that some people are just so willing to overlook it and not necessarily understand and think that it just comes out of the blue. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't. It's an intricate part of you, but it's not something that I think about all the time. Um. Yeah. He. Okay. This is also the part where he talks about how Hugh Jackman. Oh, you know, this is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going in chapter twenty-four now, aren't we? We. Yeah, we can move on to chapter twenty-four. Yep. Yeah. Your yeah. heavenly daddy. Oh fuck the airplane. That's right. <laughs> oh fuck that priest, dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are we surprised? Is anyone surprised? No, of course we're not surprised by that. But it's also it still sucks. <laughs> Yeah. This was the longest chapter of the whole book. I think this is like fifty-eight minutes in the in the actual. This was a very long chapter. Yeah, yeah, but it was also part of one of the spiciest. Um, one of the very first quotes I pulled from this chapter was, "It didn't really feel like a choice. There was no other option." Um, he was discussing um, when he had decided to come out as a lesbian. Um, at that time, he felt like there was no other. He had to. At that point. Yeah, like he didn't really have much of a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, then the, at the beginning of this chapter, he's also talking about the the God Loves Uganda um, documentary. I don't know if you've seen that, but... I've never actually seen it. I don't think I've seen the whole... I've seen, like, bits and pieces. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I guess I don't know a whole lot about it to be able to give, like, more of a actual... Thing I know what he, all I know is what he said in the book about it. I think I might remember hearing that um, at the time period, but I don't know if I actually know much more than that. I I thought it was very telling in this chapter. It seems like he's using like other people's pain to kind of like shame himself and like to kind of. Yeah, I mean that is interesting, especially in a chapter that's called your heavenly daddy mm-hmm. that he almost like commits like this like he abuses himself to redeem himself in some ways i don't know it is it is interesting how much he beats himself up in general yeah yeah um like he is i don't know do do you think like if we 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 spoke to elliot right now do you think that elliot is a confident human being or do you think someone he is like a deeply emotionally scarred uh insecure human? I think he's probably much more confident now. Yeah, I got that feeling towards the end of the book. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know. I I find I find that fascinating from a public persona you know ideology, right? Like he is in front of people all the time and he can't even be in the plane without two strangers confronting him about his queerness Mm -hmm. i mean my fucking god you know like i guess i would also be jittery i would also be full of anxiety i would i mean i am i mean i am (laughs) i mean i am uh i'm constantly worried all the time um i was already intricately full of anxiety before but now post even a small fraction of fame I feel very, very self-conscious constantly. So I guess I can get that. But I was wondering how much you would relate to some of that part of his story. I'm know? trying really hard not to like talk about myself a lot here. That's why I'm like trying to hold back. But there is a lot in this 
this part of the book and this part of the chapters where it's like, yeah, man, that's it feels like what I'm going through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'll just say that, like, it, I am a deeply insecure person. Uh, and reading this is somewhat cathartic to listen to someone as successful as Elliot. Sure. And also, I do think he's, even though he's insecure a lot about a lot of things, he's also like, he's driven as fucked. Mm-hmm. He won't let shit stop him when he wants to do stuff. He, yeah. You don't get where he is in his career if you don't just put the, you know, on the pedal to the metal. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty impressive he's able to do all that. Um, another quote that I had pulled from this chapter was, after I came out, shockingly enough, the world did not end and my life improved. And now I had that as a reference in my chest pocket. Oh. And this was, again, in reference to when he came out as a lesbian. Um, but then, like, he used that. Like, I thought it was interesting how he, he like, listened to that his coming out speech before he went to go break up with someone. You isn't, know? That, like, isn't that interesting? Did, do, you, do you think that in some ways he needed to hype himself up? So yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, it that is a fascinating moment. He also talks a lot about how different it was for him to come out as a lesbian, and how different it was to come out before, you know, uh-huh. a, a, as a trans person. Uh-huh. There's also a moment where he, where you know when when he's traveling with Kate Mara, uh, he will talk about that in later in the next chapter, I think. But like when he's traveling with Kate, even. Uh, or cat, rather, sorry. Right? Is it cat or Kate? It's Kate. It is Kate. I was right. When he's traveling with cat, with Kate, even, um, he talks about how, like, before it was all like, oh no, are they are they hooking up? Oh God, are they hooking up? And now it's just different. It's like the way that they talk about Elliot and his sexuality. It's like they don't care anymore. It's like they the cat's out of the bag. They know that Elliot's a lesbian. Okay, cool, whatever. And they, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's very interesting how the paparazzi just got done with him and didn't give a shit anymore after he rev- he he took empowerment of himself. It very interesting. I thought it was very funny how he was talking about how his first out date and how it was like twenty four hours and like how- yeah <laughs> yeah. That is the most queer shit, dude. Oh, it just it cracks me Again, up. Again, Elliot's story is so universally gay. It's fucking nuts, dude. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. You think someone like Elliot would have, like, so many stories and so many incidents, but are just really hard to relate to because he's such a humongously famous person, right? Um, but, like, nah, dude. He's still, like, a U-Haul lesbian man. <laughs> He, he is one hundred percent. But um, we had our, our first date was you know twenty four hours, and we moved in the next day. Right? Yeah. Kind of shit. That's wild, dude. He talks about how this used to feel impossible, and like it that just hit like so much. Melissa wrote a really good part here that I think kind of reinforces what we're talking well about Elliot's experience in general. They say. This whole book felt so relatable to me. It really felt like reading a book from a peer rather than a celebrity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that Elliot really tries very hard to curate a relatability in this book. I I also think this is real and authentic. Like, 
I think a lot of celebrity celebrities would try to portray themselves as something out. I really think this is this is Elliot. Yeah. Um, I think that he is creating the book in a way that actually shows his his warts, as I said before, as as well as as his beauty and as his grace. Do you know what I mean? Like they he he very much shows all the bad parts too, and I don't think that a lot of people in his position would do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but more, more on Kate. Um, let's talk Ooh, about that because yeah. that was so interesting. Is Kate it was like in chapter twenty-five? Is that where Kate? It's is chapter it? twenty-four. It's oh. still your heavenly daddy. That really, really long one. Yeah. Okay. So okay, this is. Oh boy. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? It's wow. That was interesting because it's like kind of poly, but like not, not, not. Yeah. Really, and like so it did okay. Okay. So I read articles um, because I was like really intrigued by this. But, yeah. And the fact that I don't think Elliot would have used her name if he didn't get her permission. Right. Right. So the fact that like they must be on good enough terms now for Elliot to be talking about this. And it wasn't really known until this book came out. Really? Yeah. This was like... Big news back in June when the book came out. Wow. This was not something that people knew. Do you know who Kate Mara is? I don't, actually. Um, did you ever this. watch House of Cards? No, I didn't. Okay, so for those who watch House of Cards, she is the reporter that Kevin Spacey pushes in front of a uh, a sub um, in the first season of the show. Oh. Yeah, she spends most of that first season kind of like weirdly the sexual object for Kevin Spacey. It's weird. I don't know why people really liked House of Cards. I really don't get it. Okay. Um, but she was very much like over-sexualized and naked and having sex in almost every episode. Um, but anyways. Oh, apparently she's in the first season of American Horror Story as well. Okay. Oh, is she? I always liked her in other roles that I've seen her in and stuff. She was a really um, good actor. Okay. 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 Where were we? Okay, so yeah. Um, what are your thoughts, bud? Um, I just felt like the, the his entire relationship with Kate was just like a continuing of his, uh, like, reaching for the unattainable, you know? And Yeah. Yeah. So did Kate's boyfriend, or husband rather, did he know it all? It seemed like. It did, right? Yeah. It didn't seem like this was like ethical non-monogamy to some extent, right? Because at one point, wasn't Kate going to go to L.A. or something with with um, Elliot, just the two of them, for a movie or something? And then the, the boyfriend-husband, because I think they got married shortly after this, um, then went together and Elliot was like bummed out by that right yeah yeah so I I do agree with Melissa here I do think that it sounded more like an open relationship or like a hierarchical I don't know if polyamory I, I don't know if I fully caught that man I like I I couldn't figure it out I could not figure out for the life of me if this was polyamory or not uh, or not monogamy or I mean it, a it, secret romance. I mean, I mean, it was secret at least to the public. And it, like, regardless, it's very clear that like Kate's boyfriend came first, you know, and so like that's 
that's something to be talked about. Yeah, the hierarchical relationship statuses. I mean, we yeah, I mean, I think that does more damages than not. Um, Dolly said it gave me kind of a sus vibes when like when some men don't count girls as cheating. Oh shit, yeah. But I have no real idea. Yeah, I mean, that is true. Um, I knew I knew men before I transitioned when I worked in maintenance uh, in, in construction that did let their wives, you know, make out with girls or like do whatever they want with girls because it didn't it didn't uh, count is what men would say, mm-hmm. you know, because there's no penetration. And uh, I know, I know I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he kind of ends this chapter um, talking about like taking accountability and like figuring out codependency and boundaries, which which was really interesting. Did Did their relationship end? What did they? When did it end? Did they say when? I mean, I would have to. I can't remember the book. how or when it ended. They like broke up, and then shortly after, like she broke up with her boyfriend. Oh yeah, well she got married in two thousand and eighteen to somebody. Um. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's... Sorry. We're now we're trying to become sleuths. For the for the celebrity people in Hollywood, okay, all right. Moving on to chapter twenty five. Yes, choosing family. Oh yeah, yeah. I wrote down right away. His dad was emotionally manipulative. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, and like it, any time that he is trying to voice his needs, he's kind of like shut down and. <laughs> shamed essentially yeah just chapter 25 is basically all about him telling his dad that he's trans that trying to trying to make one last attempt to connect with his father he writes the heartbreaking line that uh i had to stop um the audiobook because it hit me a little too hard more people stop more people stop to defend cruelty than trans people themselves. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that that really I mean the truth the truth of that statement is real, but it I think sometimes for me at least, buddy, I really try not to think about it. I really try not to think about how quick people are to defend cruelty against us. Mm-hmm. Um but it it Elliot got it in a way that I mean my God uh, I mean, he got literally blasted yeah. um, by turfs and transphobia and, I mean, so much. I mean, I forgot about the Jordan the Jordan Peterson thing until this book. I forgot that Jordan Peterson literally got banned from Twitter because of the bullshit. This is back when Twitter was actually somewhat functional uh, <laughs> before Elon Musk fucked it up. Um, but, like... It, it is wild to me that so many people, even Jordan Peterson, who is no friend to feminism, by the way. I do not understand why TERFs and Jordan Peterson get along. It makes no fucking sense to me. Um, but when uh, Jordan Peterson comes back and says, we'll see who cancels who. And his dad liked 
that goddamn video. That is fucked up. That is so fucked, fucked up. up. Because, like, again, you and I know what it's like to really be on the internet, mm-hmm. and we know what it's like to be somewhat public figures, and we know what it's like to be in that space, just even a small degree. If my father participated in my own boil, boiling, my own boiling, 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 bullying, yes, that word, Great. my yes. own trolling, yep, right. If my father participated in that type of behavior, I don't know if I could ever go back. Yeah. My father doesn't know how to turn on a computer, and I'm not joking about that. So, like, not gonna, not, not concerned about it, you know? But, like, that is fucked up, man. That is fucked up. I cannot get over that his dad did that. Uh, and they don't really have any contact now, do they? No, yeah. He, he talks in um, one of the upcoming chapters here about how he cuts contact with his dad. Yeah, Melissa described it as a total betrayal. And I would tell you that um, I guess it would only be a betrayal if Elliot didn't see it coming. Mm. And I feel like Elliot did. I, I, I honestly, I, I I feel like Elliot truly, I mean, he's tried confronting his dad about Linda. He tried confronting his dad about the problems in which was created by his lack of actual parenting. Um, and his dad didn't listen. I, I really think Elliot saw the, the writing on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And like, I, I also just want to go back to like when he was a child, just for a brief second here, because like talk about like he, he was getting this emotional manipulation from both of his parents. Right. And yeah. also he had no vocabulary or tools to, to deal with this and was still managing their emotions you know yeah i mean again he's very emotionally intelligent like elliot is a very interesting character in the sense that i feel like um all the parents and adults in the room especially when he was younger um could not emotionally regulate meanwhile uh he was yeah he was constant constantly emotionally regulating Mm -hmm. um for his own survival i think yes yeah yeah, that is very uh, but, much the vibe I got. Yeah, I, I'm glad we see eye to eye to that because I think that's a, like generally a wild part of his existence. Okay, ready for chapter 26? 26, mask. Okay, you want to go for it? Um, so this chapter is about the the pandemic, wearing masks, clothing as gender care, um, voice clocking. Yep. Um, obsessive thoughts that come with dysphoria sometimes. Yeah. Um, feeling euphoria again. Yeah. Um, he, he, th- this is the chapter where I like said, well, now he's just openly talking about it. <laughs> you know, like this is like, to me, this was like the one one chapter yeah. of the entire book where if you were a cisgender person, this is your entry level into trans. That's what this part of the book felt like to me. Which is so interesting to me because the pandemic was this like awakening moment for so many people. 100% dude. It is. Yeah. How many eggs cracked during this yeah. podcast? <laughs> Oh my god! I remember the jokes that I would see on TikTok of people like just like you know seeing an image of something, and the next clip would be them cracking an egg. I remember that all the time. Hilarious. 
Oh, but yeah, I didn't really have a whole lot written down other than Mo is the bestest dog. <laughs> yeah, he did sound like the bestest little dog. Yeah, I also wrote down that uh, Nikki and him were reunited. Yeah, that was sweet. That was nice. Do you think that him and Nikki are still seeing each other to some extent now? I mean, I think that they're probably still in each other's lives. I hope and, so. Yeah, to some extent. I hope so. That was that. I don't know. That 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 love story, man. I just really. I hope the best for Elliot. I really fucking do, dude. Okay. I did just have one final little quote here from chapter twenty six, uh, and that was the answer would only come when I chose to listen. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's a good one. Again, he's prolific with these quotes, mm-hmm. right? Prolific. These are like jaw dropping quotes a lot of the time. Okay, uh, Melissa says, I was so happy to hear how close he was with his co-star, uh, Marin, uh, in the Umbrella Academy in this chapter. Again, sigh of relief. Sigh of relief yeah, when, yeah. I, <laughs> when I heard that part. I was like, thank God, I don't need to hate this guy. Um, uh, then they had incredible chemistry on screen and it makes me um, makes sense why i agree yeah i i did just um watch umbrella academy i'm literally i have one more episode to watch and i'm like done oh really um so i just recently watched it they did have really good chemistry and it was just very enjoyable to watch them together yeah i agree I, but again, I, I, Elliot's just a talented goddamn actor, dude. Yeah, yeah, that's just a true. fucking wildly crazy talented actor. Um, again, not to like humber about it, but in Brutal Academy, he's also one of the most talented actors in that show. Yeah, I mean, I, do, do, I, I think Klaus is the person who plays Klaus. Like, I mean, I mean, okay, I feel like. There are some exceptions to that, but Elliot is by far the most famous fucker in that movie yeah. and in that yeah. show. And I think it's so interesting the time period in which Elliot is in his career because I would argue Elliot is still in most of the productions he's in right now. He is the person that everybody knows. Sure, yeah. And I'm still, it makes me frustrated because I feel like he won't get the just, hearing how Hollywood has treated him already when yeah. he was, when he was um, perceived as a woman and out as a lesbian and seeing how they treated him then, I just do not see the reality where Elliot will be able to will be allowed to excel as the true actor he really is. It frustrates me. Mm. Okay. Chapter twenty seven, Portal. Yeah, I, I actually wrote down nothing, so I don't even remember anything about this chapter. Okay, so um, for this one, I have written down um, like the themes are like both things slash feelings can exist, like bittersweetness. Um, in this chapter, he is like finding his creativity again. Um, it's when he's like writing something with his friend B, um, and also he his mind keeps returning to the question, you know, like is he trans? Is he trans? Yeah. There's some self harm in this one, which was really tough. Yeah. Oh no, I do remember this part. Yeah. And then it ends though. It ends with with the quote, "You don't have to feel this way." It's so. He's, a, I don't know. It, it Elliot is such an interesting guy. <laughs> I, 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 I think this chapter more than anything, um, as if he wasn't already humanized, was so. Uh, Elliot just has a way of telling his story, but also somehow making you feel seen at the same time. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, it's wild, but also yeah, about the self harm. Yeah, it was really tough, but I I do agree here with what what Dolly just said. I I did also love finding out that he was writing this at the cabin. That was like yeah, a nice little yeah, sprinkle in there. Yeah, I like I like finding out a couple of times of like you know even before he was like reunited with Nikki, right? Like. He would be writing this and then be like, yeah, next week I meet Nikki. You know, <laughs> like, it's so cute that he's yeah. like writing this in this moment and kind of like, I mean, he's still as he's writing these later chapters, he's literally figuring those things out yes. as a trans person. Yeah, it's so I know we, we started before we started this podcast, right? This round of of this, we talked about how we were concerned about it. Right, we were like, okay, what is it going to be like? It, you know, he he's barely started his transition when he started writing this book. You know, but that's the thing; he's able to convey it in a way that is so universally true. But he's also he's so aware of his own yeah. privilege and his own stuff. He literally talks about equability in the next chapter. Are you fucking kidding me? This is a person who's two years into his transition and he knows more about the trans experience and trans people around him than some people who are being transitioned for 15 fucking years. It was, it's wild. It's absolutely wild to me. That was something else that I had mentioned to Danny today. Um, they were asking me like what my opinion of the book was. And I, I said that like, it was very clear that Elliot is very well educated on um, like queer liberation, queer history, yep. like queer theory in general that made me feel like he's earned this title of an ambassador for the trans. you know like i guess there is a part of me that has always been concerned about having people who transition publicly you know um and they transition fast mm -hmm. like he he transitioned he he got his top surgery and sort of t very quickly um and, and and i think that sometimes i'm concerned about them not really being connected to the trans community in the same way like like I like to say grassroots careers like you and I like there, there is you know you and I have a lot more experience with like poverty and a lot more in, as adults and you and I have a lot more experience when it comes to like sexual liberation as well mm -hmm. right publicly and financially and mm -hmm. all that stuff right that those are those very intrinsically queer experiences that are linked to survival. Yes. And it can be hard for me to then look at someone who is very wealthy, mm -hmm. very privileged, and be like, yeah, that person should be an ambassador for our community, right? Elliot's, he feels like the OG. He, he feels like the real deal. He feels like he honestly cares about making the community stronger and caring about us and listening to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so chapter 28, this one was, I feel like I had goosebumps reading this chapter, yeah. like the whole time. Yeah. I, I love how he, he very clearly says like, there was no second thoughts and regrets. Yep. He, the quote I, I wrote down was my whole body took a deep breath. Uh huh. Like when he oh. talks about the, the, the top surgery and the drains and everything. Yeah, dude. It, oh man, this, this chapter is 27 chapters in the making. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this chapter is like the reason why this book got so popular, right? Like people wanted to hear this part. Yeah. And 
he really knows what he has here. He knows what people are into this for. He knows what like people want to hear. So he uses so much of it, 27 chapters, to then support this feeling of there isn't a moment prior to this where he felt like himself. Yeah. And then in chapter 28, he finally gets introduced to himself. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, that's that's some heavy shit, dude. Yeah. And I, I just, I love that, like, anyone who was going into this book to, like, get these little, like, juicy details or whatever, you know, they have to read through yep. all of that other stuff. And then right alongside the, the details of all of his transition, he's talking about access to care and, like, accessibility, how life-saving, you know, this stuff is. Yeah, I mean, he buries information within these juicy bits yeah and i there is no way to extract those juicy bits as you call them um without hearing true um trans experience talk right like he really my god it's just so i mean trip 28 uh to me really just drove home to this point that this book was a masterpiece in a lot of ways mm. and i i am a little sour on the idea that people aren't giving this book the way i read more reviews today and i am sour on this idea that this was a mediocre book i am i i i would argue this book is one of the best books i've ever read i i agree with you i think this was a very important book at an important time and it was well written like legitimately very well written extremely well um, written but also the pacing dude yeah mm-hmm. the, the pacing of this fucking book is wildly good because there's moments where he moves a little slow on purpose right he spends a lot of time on ages like 14 to 20 right Mm -hmm. he doesn't spend a whole lot of time in that like 25 to 30 right but he spends probably a meat of this entire book on 15 and 20 what happens during those time periods intense trauma intense ridicule intense projection from people around him Mm -hmm. right like he is constantly he, he he has to re-invert into himself in order to survive these time periods in his goddamn life. Right. And then people have the audacity to question um, why there was no signs before. Are you fucking kidding me? I just cannot get over that, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he also, in this chapter, discusses, you know, the infantilization, which is so... It, it is something that is a little bit more unique to the trans mask experience than the trans femme experience. You yeah. know? And like trans mask people get infantilized a lot, like because a lot of us look like 12 year old boys. Yeah. There is like, there is definitely like an anime boy thing that happens. ZZ and I have talked about this a lot about how, like, especially early in transitions where there is like this, uh, there's something that, especially for like trans mass people who are leaning more towards, you know, the masculinity, like doing, like trying to go more passing in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, but like in that way, there are so, there's a moment in time that like, like four or five months in where I think people get real weird about trans mass people. 
And it's like, it's like, okay, I'm going to say something that might sound terrible. Okay. But again, this is what I've heard on the TikTok. Okay. I think that people sometimes do this thing where um, it's all of the parts they were indoctrinated to like about women, but then the masculine parts that they find attractive in men. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that it is very telling and how people respond to those things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, you're 100% right. I also like that he called it out on this. And, 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 and that's it. I love that he was just very explicit and called it I mean, what it was. It, he, he kind of uses um, um, gloves for most of the book, right? He's really soft and gentle. I don't think he's soft and gentle in, in chapter 28. I think he's a little bit more like... Don't be a bitch about it. <laughs> and like, I love, love that he ends this chapter with, with, let me just exist with you happier than ever. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. So that good. quote, man, can be a tattoo that gets put on me, dude. Mm. You know, dude, man. Yeah, I'm just in awe of Elliot, I think, after this book. Okay, now that we're... Do we want to talk about the acknowledgement or anything? Do we want to talk about there, the... There, chapter 29. Oh, we're going to forget Peaches. Oh, no, we can't forget How Peaches. How can you forget Peaches? Peaches. Was, Peaches went by so fast that I forgot Peaches was actually the it's last valid. chapter. I, I mean, it's just because, you know, that, that last chapter is just really yeah. to drive home the importance of queer representation. Yeah, you know, 100%. Because, yes, 100%. It's so funny because to me, 28 literally is the end of the book. But 29 is does wrap it all up tight it's like the epilogue yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, but go on buddy it's just you know it's 29 is literally just about queer representation radical self acceptance spaces to celebrate and queer joy which i mean like i feel like the reason why we connect with this book so much is because that is literally our platform yeah you know yeah um Again, you and I have talked about this before, but Vern Cox has talked about there need to be more trans joy. Yes. Elliot Page talks about we need more trans joy. Yes. Um, and here we are. Our entire platform is built off of trans joy. I mean, I laugh in most of my videos. I make a point to laugh in most of my videos. Um, and I and I and what we try to do is talk about the happiness within this and also look at the gender affirming care stuff that we've done it's all about trans joy and trans experiences yes um okay melissa kind of um brings us back to um kind of the infantilization of matt uh, of elliot and i think that this is a really important part too because of the verbiage in which elliot uses the fact that elliot spends 27 chapters before before this chapter being so raunchy that the idea that anyone calls him adorable is just laughable. Yeah. I agree. I yes. mean, he's yeah. again, he's a fucking horn dog, dude. He is a man. Yeah, he is a man. <laughs> he is a man 100%. 100%, dude. Yeah. I just I just I I have so many thoughts. I just love this book so much. Yeah. I really enjoyed reading it. I agree, dude. Um, okay. Last thoughts about the book itself. Um, 
I I don't know. I it's so hard. I don't know. I, I okay. My last thoughts about the book, and I thought about this like all day. So like, bear with me. Okay. 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 Um, I think when it comes to memoirs, there are very few memoirs that would appeal to me because they're often telling a story that I feel like we've heard before. Mm. There's every experience, every perception of us in some way, shape or form has come before us. Right. We, there's that old joke in theater where um, Shakespeare already did it. Right. You know, you know, you wrote a play and you're like, Oh yeah, is this original? And you're like, no, Shakespeare already did it. And I, I, there is something about that when it comes to life experiences, right? There is like this, oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. Elliot is relatable. Mm-hmm. He's very relatable. But his story is so crazy unique. Yeah. Because he lived through a time period where I would argue he's one of the most famous actors of my generation. And then for him to be struggling for his entire life. In a way that is so lonely and isolated. Mm. There's this quote he says that we talked about tonight. That's about child actors are isolated, but never alone. Actors and trans people, just trans people, are isolated from the world. But people always have something to say about us. Mm We are always talked about and never spoken to. Mm. And there is so much in this book. It feels like Elliot is wrestling his story from the clutches of other people's bigotry. Yeah. And it's powerful. I'm going to end up recommending this book to a lot of people. Because, like, I don't know. It is really, like, I really hope that his career like shoots up. I really hope that he does some amazing movies. I hope that he like just blows people out of the water. Um, I hope the best for him. I really do. But I do fear we, we won't see it. Um, I, I, I worry that the society has not caught up fast enough. Um, and all the movies he would be in would be independent at best. You know? Sure. Sure. I kind of see this um, being kept in like a kind of like a time capsule kind of thing. Like this, this kind of memoir is going to be read later. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that you could end, he could end his career right now. And this book would still be relevant 30 years from now. I agree. I don't think anything he does after this book will affect the book in a negative or positive way. I think this book on itself just as it is right now, is just as effective. And I do think that that hopefully will help. I hope this book opens eyes, opened eyes. Um, yeah, because yeah. I mean, like, uh, the the entire book is kind of showing the effects of, like, societal homophobia and transphobia, right? Like, yeah. it's, that's kind of... It is 100% true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he really goes hard in the book in so many ways. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have much more to say than that. Yeah, that was a lot. That was that was we, so we, much. So I know, I know, 
we probably talked for almost what over like an hour and 20 minutes probably yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's almost get wrapped ex- up we got we got we got we started for this extra long episode but I, I think it's obvious that me and basil uh truly got a lot from this book mm-hmm. um and i'm happy we did this one and next week we'll do next a- week we are taking off because it's oh, the, yeah. the thanksgiving holiday so we're all going to go spend some time with our loved ones okay we will come back uh, i think it's december 1st it's that friday yeah it's like the day before we leave on our yes. next leg of the tour yep um and do we do we read he she they then or after we we are gonna do our little pre-read discussion okay. yeah and so, then if we have any final thoughts about page boy too those might um come up. i think what i'll do for the next one is i will get a whole bunch of reviews and we'll talk about the reviews oh that's stuff. fun yeah, because I, I would be interested to see what other people really say and then kind of dissect the reviews a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That'll um, be but anyways, that being said, thank you, everyone who's tuned in. Thank you for everyone who's participated on our Discord. Um, thank you to Basil for doing this. Um, I love this. It was, I would not have read this book without, you know, doing this, and I'm really happy I did. Yeah, me too. Thanks, buddy. All right, friends, let's go all get snug as a bug in a rug and... Go read another book. Okay. Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye. Wow. You made it through the entire three-hour marathon of this <laughs> show. Way to go. Basil, who's here with me right now, how do you feel about everything with the book and the, the podcast that we do? Oh, my goodness. This has been such a fun new adventure to take on. I, I love reading and I love talking about books. And yeah. Now we get to do it together for our job. I know. I said this before, but I really love having an excuse to read books with my best friend. Mm-hmm. It has been such an amazing experience. And both, as you heard, me and Basil have very different ways to approach things. But we also have very much of the same mentality about things. And I think that's a, like, a really fun comparison a lot. I just love talking about it. And I, every week I get like giddy that we get to talk about it. Even if I'm not like really enjoying a book, I'm happy that I can get to shit talk a book with Basil. <laughs> it's so much fun. And everyone that's following along on the Discord channel, it is so cool to get to interact with people and like get their real time yeah. like thoughts as we're doing the episodes. It's yeah. a, it's a lot of fun. I think Basil Book Bugs have been one of my favorite experiences. It's like a little bit more of a low key podcast. And if you want to listen to it, you absolutely can on our Patreon and on our Discord. And supporting us that way can really help us a lot. It gives us more security, especially in the time that we live in. And security is hard to go by. (laughs) I'm so glad that you said that, Mercury, because we haven't officially said it, but we are going to be continuing book club next year. Yes. Me and Mercury are each going to pick out six books. And we're going to announce those soon. Yep. We're super excited to get to read these with you. Yeah. Guys. And a lot of the authors we're going to bring are trans, but not every single book is going to be trans related or done by a trans author. It's going to be a variety of things, things that me and Basil both enjoy. And I'm going to introduce Basil to some of my favorite books and Basil's going to introduce me to some of their favorite books. So I think it's going to be a fun time. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. All right. So good. Okay. We'll see you in 2024, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. The theme song was created by Rody Walker. Questions were picked up by our production assistant, Ziggy. A big thank you to our executive producer, Basil. And this podcast was recorded and edited by Matthew Allen Hag. Thank you for listening. See you next time.
If you enjoyed this episode, please help us keep the pirate ship alive by supporting our sponsors, the wonderful iFixit. They fight for your right to repair and makes really cool tools in the process. If you need to fix your phone, laptop, or even a vacuum, iFixit has thousands of parts, tools, and free guides to make your life a little bit easier. If you enjoyed this episode of the Handyman Hotline, you can listen to an even longer version by supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon, $10 or more, you'll be able to get an extra long 30 to 45 minute section every single week. Isn't that amazing? More of me and Maggie. Wow! So thank you so much for all those who already support us, and you too can support us and listen to more on our Patreon. Thank you. Bye-bye. So grab your hammer and nails and paint your nails if you want to. You're worth the time it takes to be you. Teach you how to fix your house, how to fix it by yourself. The trans handyman Mercury Stardust. Please hang up and try your call again.